Well, howdy doody, my friend. Wow, fuck. Um, <laughs> welcome to Riot Act. We're not, we're English. We're not American. You would have got the sort of impression that this is some sort of like rodeo based podcast if you'd have just p- switched on for some reason and uh, and heard wow, howdy doody. But welcome to Riot Act. My name's Stephen Hill. I'm the host alongside my good friend and gunslinger extraordinaire, <laughs> <laughs> Renfrey Deadman. You're Hello. not a cowboy, are you? Uh, I'm not. I mean, I wanted to be when I was younger, but, mm. uh, but that. Yeah, that life really is happened. a series of crushing failures <laughs> and, and this is yet another one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well um i say that life is a series of crushing disappointments and failures but um so far uh we're this is episode two of the riot act podcast sponsored by the good folks not even sponsored we are part of musicism yes i keep wanting to say sponsored because i feel like they've been Don't good, say sponsored. We're, no no we actually no, are no. owned by and are an arm of musicism that's music.sum or music backwards so it's like a palindrome, as we discussed yes. last week. It's good that. I'm happy with that. Um, if you go to musicism.net, you can um, sign up there for the minuscule sum of £9.99 a month, and you'll get access to all of the things that they do. And the things that they do are courses and tutorial videos for budding guitarists, vocalists, mm. and producers in mm. the world of music. So, you know, you can get yourself a proper education. And I say the minuscule sum of 999 it's even more minuscule when you consider that if you go to the checkout when you are purchasing your uh, your courses, your uh, your your uh, what's it called well the video tutorial video tutorial so yeah but it. the membership i guess yeah. it is yeah, yeah your yeah, membership yeah. if you go to the checkout and put in the code riot r-i-o-t in capital letters you get 25 percent off what i know that's, that's amazing like seven pound fifty yeah that's that's incredible and i have to say i um i i met uh hannah for the first time a couple of days ago who does the voice stuff and she's she's absolutely brilliant she's lovely and uh Bia who does the um guitar stuff he's been a friend for a while but I saw him do a set with his band Tosca the other day and it was just reminded me what an incredible phenomenal guitarist that guy is so there you go you're learning from the best believe Mm. me so we are the least talented people in the musicism uh uh, community but uh like I say get your money off down there musicism.net you can be as good as those people but what I was going to say was, um, when I say crushing dreams being crushed and things going badly, we were number one in the iTunes uh, music chart mere two days after we announced that this podcast was even a thing. A You're telling me now? Back. You knew. I fact, knew. So you're obsessed with it. You're on Facebook. You're going full <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow on Facebook about it. I, 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 did, I did cry. I spent the entire week crying, just, uh, <laughs> just giving out speeches to people left, right and centre on the street saying, thank you so much for my number one. <laughs> I say, I say, I want to thank everyone, my dog, my family, and all that. Yeah. But it was really amazing. It was genuinely, so, I, yeah. I, I, it was incredible. We uh, did not expect that. So no, I so didn't expect it at all. Quickly. No, I um, thought it, like to happen so very, very quickly. It's been amazing. So thanks very much for listening. I hope yeah. we repay your faith. Um, yeah, thank you very also, much. Yeah, if you go to, um, if you want to help out even more than that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash forward slack oh, it's two weeks running i said forward slack <laughs> cut me some got, slack got guys slack um brain. but if you go to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast uh you can you can donate some money if you if you want to yeah if you so uh, choose to and even even if you can't help us out that way then just spreading the word and telling people uh if you enjoy the podcast that would be wonderful yeah be, subscribe you know. and uh follow us at riot act 
underscore podcast on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Right Act Podcast and you'll find us. And um, you can come and chat to us. Like we actually put a poll up after our episode zero. We put a poll up about Nirvana. Were they a rock band? Were they a punk band? We, we uh, you know, I and don't think we need to go into this too Well, much, common sense prevailed, Renfrey, um, is what happened. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm more of a dictatorship kind of guy. I'm more of a King, J- King Jong-un sort of guy. Yeah. And, uh, you well, know, in your face. <laughs> in my you face. Commie bastard. Democracy, you know, has got us into all sorts of trouble. It has over the past yeah, I think uh, well. a few years. I mean, uh, Brexit is going on and on and on and on and on, and that was uh, democracy's fault. So uh, I don't really pay all that much attention to the people and what they have to think or say. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was tight sure. anyway. It was much like was Brexit. It tight? The Brexit was fairly tight. I, I think, think it was it, like it started really tight. I believe it ended sixty-seven percent to rock and thirty-three percent to punk. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, one person that. shout out matt hughes who um is a pr for a load of bands that we yes. really really like who says metal he, he's a, a lovely man but also slightly insane i mean um, they're not a metal band no they? they're not he, a metal band. he he said that he will sit down and discuss that for hours with anyone who wants to though so so i imagine he's gonna be keeping that to himself <laughs> <laughs> um but thanks if you voted on it and especially thanks if you agreed with me i get it though yeah. Nirvana are a band who came from the punk scene and, and aesthetically and uh, in terms of the um, the the ideology of the band, it's very, very punk rock, but they did so much in big things. And yeah. They changed so much in just rock music in general. That, that was, a, that was a point that was very astutely made by a lot of people, actually. Like almost, they're more, almost a punk band in ideals and kind of ethics, but then musically, are they a punk band? yeah sometimes but uh but you know i i get it i'm not i'm not like too wedded to it and it provoked discussion and that's kind of it the whole did. point so yeah, absolutely you know. the point um but anyway we should probably talk about what's coming out on today's show so coming up today we'll be chatting about basically what we've done in the week pretty different things the two of us i have to say um we'll also be reviewing new albums from the dirty projectors scars on broadway night versus birds in row and the new debut ep by the band urn mm-hmm. um a lot of those are already out obviously we're kind of mm-hmm. playing catch up a little bit and trying to get in a bunch of stuff that may have been out a little bit but to be honest the main sort of focus of this show is not really reviews and i say that because um we're actually introducing our first ever guest to write act this week as i sat down for a chat or i am going to sit down for a chat with andy cairns from therapy mm-hmm. to talk for this the first thing we'll be doing we're going to try and get artists on to talk about not the obvious albums that people would want to talk about so me and andy are going to be discussing trouble gum incredibly un- not trouble gum <laughs> no not trouble gum we're going to be talking about suicide pact you first <sighs> which is a very, very interesting record. Very so, interesting. Um, yeah, but before we crack on, Renfrey. Hello. Last week, we had quite different weeks. Um, you went to see Employed to Serve. I did. Live in concert. <sighs> whilst I was having uh, or recovering from a testicular embolization operation. Oh! Um, which sounds like something from a carcass record. <laughs> yes. And felt like something from a carcass <laughs> record as well. Yeah, I can My imagine. My balls hurt. Uh, how much do you want to go into that? Well, what I will tell you is, basically, I won't go into the reasons why it happened, but um, uh, I had to have this thing done to my nether regions. Mm. I, it took two hours. I was awake for the whole thing. They stuck a needle in my neck all the way through my body to basically pull stuff out of my um, 
my ball bags. Oh, uh, okay. and it was one. It was only one of the two. So my I nuts mean, now kind of look like a Malteser next to a pocket watch. Oh, right. It's not a great look, I have to say. Okay. Not. That, I mean, and the thing about scrotums are they're not the most aesthetically pleasing things in the first place. Certainly not. No. Uh, scrotal baskets are not the sort of yeah. thing that you want to be so when, know, showing off. Yeah, so when they look like sort of the poster for twins starring Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Danny DeVito, it's uh, yeah. it's not the best. Yeah. But um, So anyway, yeah, I've been sort of nursing them, so I haven't been out at all. But you went to see Employed to Serve. I did. Change um, the subject. Which was probably as brutal an experience as your operation, I imagine. Uh, Employed to Serve played The Warmth of a Dying Sun on this latest tour, which their latest album, which everyone has fallen in love with. Coran mm. uh, gave it album of the year. Yeah, you know, yeah. Totally un- unexpected, but brilliant, brilliant move and so on and so forth. And just seems to be taking the sort of hardcore world by storm. And hearing that record in full, it was just, it was just joyous. It was amazing. Played front to back. But uh, what was particularly wonderful was hearing the stuff that they don't normally play. So um, the last song, which has escaped, oh, the title of which has escaped me now, but um, the songs like Half-Life and, I think it's called Apple Tree or something like that. But the very, very last song, it basically, it's it's yeah. much less of a hardcore song. Like Sammy, Sammy does vocals on it, which are very kind of um, almost shoegazy. Uh, and seeing that stuff kind of gave an indication of the band that they are probably going to turn into one day. Mm. And it's really, really exciting. And, you know, it came across really well just because that, material wasn't as sonically um brutal and in your face as the rest of the album it was still really intense it still felt really it felt heavy without being sonically i mean it gets quite sonically heavy towards the end but without being smacking you about the chops basically it was excellent. Um, yeah, I'm pretty gutted I missed that. I it, was, it, it, it was fantastic. I mean, when are they not, really? Mm. Um, it's they're with, really good. They're, they're, they are phenomenal live, and they are just getting better and better all the time. Um, but I really do need to give big shout-outs to uh, Leached, who we talked about last week. Who oh, opened. yeah, I would, I would have really liked to have seen them as well. My God. So we were going on about how dirty and disgusting and morbid and just 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 from the gutter that record is like it's really nasty uh live it's just that amped up to 11 you know it was just it reminded me of the first time i saw nails like the whole the we we talked about nails a little bit in conjunction with leech last week but that definitely the nails vibe was definitely there and they were just the lights were so low they were just sort of in silhouette and they just kept pounding us over and over again with these really nasty <laughs> grindy ri- you i mean you would have loved it yeah you would, I, have, you would have absolutely i would definitely make it. sure i catch them next time yeah, in town for yeah. sure i'm yeah. sure i'm sure big things are going to happen for that band yeah. um i'm i'm absolutely and they're manchester so you know they'll be playing uk quite a lot which is yeah. great news for us um they're just phenomenal um they really, really, the impact of them live was incredible. I was, I was hanging out with Rich, who's the uh, second guitarist for Employed to Serve, and he, like, he's, he came out to see them every single night. He was enjoying their set so much, and um, yeah, it was just wicked. It was yeah. just, just fantastic. They're definitely, definitely ones to watch, and they do not disappoint live. Wow. Um, but I also wanted to give a shout out to Rough Hands, who I'd kind of heard of and knew of, mm-hmm. but never actually heard really interesting band kind of like almost like a a, a glass jaw-esque type thing but with but they're very difficult to pin down i have to say definitely i would say 
fits into the post-hardcore kind of mold, but you're mm. never really sure where they were going to go. And their music kept off, kept on going off in different directions that I wasn't expecting. It was really exciting. Um, and they've actually done quite a bit more than I realised. They've done a few EPs now and a record, I think. Yeah, I've had that. That name has been bandied around for a good few years now. And I, I have to be honest, I've... I've not checked them out, so I really feel like I should check them out. It You're was throwing the word glass jaw around. Yeah, here. exactly, which is not a word I throw around lightly at all. Um, they're one of my favourite bands, Glassjaw. So you know, like, but it sounded really interesting. They're on, they're on Ven, I think they're okay. still on Ven, which is um, Lags from Gallows, yeah, yeah. his label. Yeah. One thing I will say about Ven, really phenomenal label, but they always, always, always have interesting bands on yeah. their roster. Some sometimes I. I, I'll admit I hate their bands, but sometimes <laughs> I love them. But they're always interesting, um, and uh, Rough Hands definitely fit in to the interesting category. And I, I think I love them, um, but oh, yeah, I was really, really. I thought they were fantastic. So it was just a fantastic night all round, really. Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, I tell you what, didn't look like a should have been a fantastic night. I don't know if you saw this. It's talking about other things while I was sort of holed up in bed. I did have a little bit of a look at the YouTube clips. Now, I want to sort of start with a caveat that I don't really think you should pay too much attention to YouTube clips of, of gigs made by no. camera phones and stuff. That being said, Smashing Pumpkins' 30th anniversary concert at the PNC Centre in New Jersey happened last week. Ooh. Right? Um, fine. Good. Looking yeah. for We're both going to see Smashing Pumpkins at Wembley Arena. Yeah, they I'm come very back. excited I'm about really, it. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> got a lot of guests out to celebrate their 30th anniversary. Okay. Some of them were very good. Peter Hook came out, did um, Age of Consent by New Order and did Transmission and, you know, obviously Love Will Tear Us Apart mm. uh, by um, Joy Division. Okay. Um, also joined by Davey Havoc on the two cool. Joy Division songs. Um, uh, Dave Cohen. Quenning, Quenning, and Mark Sturmer. I don't know how to say their names from the Killers. The two of the guys from the Killers aren't Brandon Flowers. Uh -huh. uh, came on, and did Cherub Rock in 1979. Mm. Um, Gina Moreno did Bodies and Snail. Oh. With them. So far, kind of so good. This is where it got a bit weird for me. Courtney Love came out, right? Yeah. Courtney Love came out, and there's nothing inherently wrong with Courtney Love coming out no. uh, to do Malibu and Celebrity Skin right. by Hole. Right. Right. Which, if I'm going to see the Smashing Pumpkins celebrate their 30th anniversary... I want to see them do Smashing Pumpkins. I don't want to see them do whole songs. I guess, I mean, so Courtney and Billy have... Uh, they have beef. They have had beef in history in the past. Like they have, they were, yeah. they were definitely... They weren't in a... Am I making well, up they were in a relationship? I don't like the... I, I don't like to spread the rumour, but the rumour... I mean, it was, you know, it's 25 years ago now, but... The rumour at the time was that Courtney was having an affair with Billy Corgan okay. whilst Kurt was alive. Very much a rumour. And yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, that yeah. is a, a famous, famous rumour. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You know, obviously I haven't got a fucking clue if it's true or not, but, you know, and then there was quite a nasty war of words between the two of them. But she's kind of making up with everyone now, isn't she? She's mates with Manson Maz again now. Mazza, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But she was, like, really terrible, Right. Like from the clips I saw, she was just, a, she was a mess. Mm. Um, and she did bullet with butterfly wings and just sort of stood there and let Billy sing most of it. 
Um, and also, when she, you say she did, was she playing guitar? Was no, she- no, she was just singing, but she was just sort of out of tune and she was staggering around. And they did Bullet with Butterfly Wings, and Billy basically did all of it. But she talked for about three minutes before they tried to, when, while they were trying to play it. Right. And Corgan at one point had to go, Can we just play the song now? Um, right. And then also, she was there during Love Will Tell Us, Tear Us Apart. Now, you, you watch it, Peter Hook is fucking perfect on it. Like, he's brilliant. He still looks great. Davy Havoc looks like a kid who's never been on stage before, which is really weird. That's just odd. sort of stood looking at the floor, like you know, you, know you go to a like, nativity and the kid doesn't really, like, yeah. he, he doesn't know why he's there. That's what Davy Havoc looked like. Courtney Love tried to get underneath Billy Corgan's, like, well, I don't know what the word for his dress. Billy Corgan's wearing a big sort of like silvery dress thing. I've seen him wear that before. Yeah, I'm like sure a, he did black that. satin thing with yeah. loads of paint on his face. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. all good. But Courtney Love tried to sort of get up his bum while he was singing, like not figuratively, like literally kind of climb inside his shrong, like whilst they were doing Love Will Tear Us Apart. You looked at it and you go, I feel like maybe a time traveller showed Ian Curtis that like half an hour before he killed himself. (laughs) It was really, it was really bad, but it wasn't the worst. It still wasn't the worst thing. I cannot, for the life of me, like, you look at those people and you go, Courtney Love, Chino, I don't like the killers, but call their massive, whatever. Davey Havoc, uh, Peter Hook, obviously massive. What is Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray doing there? What? And what is Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray doing there and singing Breaking the Law by Judas Priest and Fly by Sugar Ray? Fly by Sugar Ray being played by the Smashing Pumpkins (laughs) at their 30th anniversary show. Because the Smashing Pumpkins don't have enough good songs. I mean, that is just mental. That's, yeah. I I, I mean, I don't know. I guess Billy Corgan is not the kind of thing to not the kind of person the kind of, <laughs> the kind of things <laughs> Freudian uh, he's not the kind of person to do what people want I remember like because what you would want from a 30th anniversary Smashing Pumpkins show is them to come out play fucking 40 songs and just do like rare stuff do everything that they know blah 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 so that fits in with what Billy Corgan likes to do I remember just ruining people's ears. <laughs> I uh, he he he's he's Mark McGrath. He's acerbic, I guess. He, yeah, he, but he, oh god, I mean, oh, well, this is this is like if Led Zeppelin reformed mm. and got Chico out to do its Chico time, <laughs> and then didn't play like oh lot of fucking love. yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you go well. Why are you doing that? Yeah. There was a bunch of songs I mean, like I, I don't s- think they played Disarm. I'm like, like, let's not play oh, Disarm. Shit. Let's do a Judas Priest cover. And fly the reggae pop one hit wonder like the pre sort of mini hit to the really massive hit that Sugar Ray had yeah. in nineteen ninety seven. What 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 is going on? But if you could imagine Louise Redknapp coming on doing Quiet, that'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, um, no, ladies and gentlemen, ready. <laughs> <laughs> Here to sing today, Ridian. <laughs> Here to oh, sing Jesus. today, and I will survive. Why? Actually, never see Ridian and Billy Corgan in the same room together, do you? No, um, because why would you? <laughs> but anyway, well, well, with this reunion, who knows? But anyway, uh, Ridian, Pumpkins, Ridian for Wembley as well. Yeah, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, like Lord only knows what they're going to do. Like now, to me, now this just means sort of all bets are off. 
Well, I, I, I've I've tried to not look too much at the Smashing Pumpkins stuff because I'm too excited and I don't want it spoiled for me. But I did look at their for the first set that they did when they came back, and it was astonishing. Mm-hmm. They did like. 33 songs played for three hours i've heard nothing but good things apart bar what we've just been talking about yeah um so i'm still really really excited and i think that is just that is just i'm doing this for our 30th anniversary because that's a typical quote well the first time i i saw pumpkins at the o2 arena when they came back and um they were meant to play share rock as the uh, encore and instead they did an echo and the bunnyman cover at two booze to a massive choir of booze and people were storming out and I mean, I you know, I was fine with it. I was just like, okay. What Echo and the Bunnyman song was it? I can't remember. I can probably find out. No, nah, it's not that important. Um, but um, it, it was, you know, it, he he likes doing that, doesn't he? He doesn't like doing what pe- what is expected of mm. him. I think mm. I was about to say what he should do, and I don't. I don't think that's fair yeah, no, to say. But but you know, he's it's his band, and if he wants yeah. to get Mark McGrath out and do a fucking crap pop song one hit wonder song like, he's entitled you know, to do that yeah. uh, fingers crossed for the one week by the bare naked ladies <laughs> at Wembley that's what I got my fingers crossed for um, in the other thing that I did what yeah God, imagine that <laughs> where did you come from um, so let's not talk about that anymore okay. until it happens okay. yeah. um, one thing I did see which is great is the new Behemoth video oh my yes oh is, my god so um, God equals dog they released that uh, last week. That, that, the only thing I don't like about this is the title. It's Everything not, else is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a bit of a silly title. God it? equals dog is a bit. I'm 13 years old and I've just realised. Oh, dog has got backwards. Yeah. Other than that, I think everything about this is almost perfect. It's really brilliant. It's phenomenal. And it's really and, brilliant. I love what I mean. The song itself. What I love about it is, it's. Um, it feels like it's not a, a massive kind of sonic quantum leap away from the Satanist. You know, we said when we were doing our kind of our Venn diagram that, you know, the Satanist was the, the masterpiece. And I think it's not in terms of production stuff. It still kind of bleeds out the sides because if you listen to kind of the albums before that, Behemoth were, were tight and taut and everything sounded mm-hmm. more like a kind of death metal band. Whereas yeah. with the Satanist came along and, you know, it was rougher and it was rawer and it, it sort of, ble- like I say, like you could hear this, the sounds kind of bleed out the sides and yeah. uh, a little bit. And it's still got that, which I think is really cool. What I love about it is if you listen to it, there's a kind of rhythmic, there's, there's one rhythm almost that underpins the entire thing. Mm. which changes in pace a little bit, that... Which changes in pace a little bit, but wherever the song goes, and the song goes into all different types of territories with, you know, like, children singing on it and, like, mad kind of... Not really a breakdown, but, like, a really, like it's kind of really slow, doomy bit, and then the bits where they go kind of white-hot double time. Mm. But at all times, there's this, like, this rhythm, this singular rhythm that underpins all of it. And that's really cool. It's a masterclass. That's really clever. It's yeah. a masterclass in songwriting. And, and, and the way, th- I, mean, I think it kind of almost starts with an alternative rock riff, almost. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't start in the way that I expected a behemoth song to start. You know, especially after, has it been five years since? Five Satanist? years. Well, yeah. I mean, Satanist came out in January 2014, I believe. So it's pretty. Okay. So, so four, mm. but yeah, four and a half. And um, obviously that was such a well-respected and, well, it was a landmark for that genre. Yeah, it definitely is. Like a it was a landmark album. for black metal, like yeah. end of. Um, and uh, 
you know, we've all been a little nervous as to whether they can actually follow it up. And based on this song, I'm, I have no qualms at all. I think yeah. it's going to be absolute. I mean, it might even be a better record than the Satanist, maybe. Like, well, I'm not going to say that off the back of one song for sure. But... I said might. I'm not going there yet. But they're, they're, I think why the, the, everything about this is just so brilliantly artistic. I mean, mm. the video, the visuals... It looks like a Lars von Trier film oh, or whatever. Stunning. And whatever you think of Lars von Trier, and there's definitely, you know, strong opinions to have about him. He is an amazing, like his cinema, the, the, the way that he frames films and the every single shot of his movies look like artwork. It looks like artwork. a painting. Yeah, it looks, it looks painting. like a painting, exactly. Yeah. And this, this, just this, so, like, Nurgle is being crucified at one point and mm. there's like skin flailing stuff which yeah. is absolutely disgusting but yeah, beautiful not, at the same time yeah not suitable for work what no. i did think and without getting kind of too deep into theological ideologies and stuff at the moment um obviously behemoth are very much known as a satanic mm-hmm. uh arcane sort of arcane satanic band mm. i thought in the video to kind of it's funny i've never been able to talk about kind of theological ideologies within music <laughs> videos before in any of the previous things i've done well, this but, is what this is yeah this but is what's exciting about. um i was quite surprised as to the kind of so nurgle plays what seems to me like a kind of variety of different characters yeah. in the video yeah and i think the character of jesus christ that he plays is actually treated very very respectfully yes like very respectfully, I agree. he's 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 put on the cross just as um, a normal man. He's he's mourned. There is no resurrection, and even though the lyrics are, you know, like uh, I will never forgive God, I will I'll never Jesus forget Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, it's only really when he becomes the characters that are sort of um, there's an angel that is kind of going around prodding people with a mm. with a thing well i believe that's meant to be i so i'm not up on my bible studies but i believe that's meant to be one of the apostles i think it's like right, okay. saint mark or something like that right but carry on yeah but yeah and um and i think you know when he's kind of dressed in that kind of gaudy uh religious um clothing and all the kind of gold and the, the yep. hats and the big stuff he he's got his face painted and he's covered in blood and he looks angry that's, and horrible yeah but when he's jesus it's he's he portrays it as a very simple person. So I thought it was interesting. It's because they're saying, it's because they actually have something to say and, yeah. and, and it's beyond religion is bad. You know, the message is far more interesting than, than that. And, and I read, so I want to talk children's choir, right? Children's choirs in metal have not had a good reputation no, definitely as of late. Um, <laughs> and ever. Uh, as, as of ever. Yeah. Well, uh, children's choirs in music. I mean, I think um, Pink Floyd, obviously pulled it off yeah well they're the only ones aren't they let's be honest Mm. um but but anyway it's generally gets a bad rap so having a children's choir in this is a bold move Mm -hmm. but i was thinking about it a lot more and thinking more about it in terms of the lyrics and stuff like that and it felt to me that the reason that children's choir is in there is because obviously there's a lot of accusations with the catholicism and the church Mm -hmm. and being too uh friendly with children let's say yeah and um it felt like it was a comment on that it felt like the whole reason the children's choir is there there's that innocence which is put front and center in this you know disgusting vile black metal song and i mean that in a nice way but and 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 it's it's making a comment on i will not forgive you jesus mm. it's almost saying i will not forgive the entire yeah, christianity it's about this, this fucking this awful more about the sins of the church and the sins of the yes. the uh the actual um 
rather than the the person or the the people that sort of believe it it's more about the the state isn't it yes. it's more about kind of the sins of the state rather than the the sins of the innocent people which, who are which frankly is a far more interesting thing yeah, to say interesting. than yeah. than you know Satan jesus yeah satan's my pal and jesus is is a knob and didn't mm. exist or whatever if mm. that's what you think you know th- that's far more interesting i mean i think it's i think it's it, it, like I say, everything about it is just artistic. You know, whether you agree or you disagree, whether you have different views or the same views, everything about it is well done and well made and thought provoking. Thought provoking. I feel mm. like there is so much within that video and the song and everything that you could interpret in so many different ways. Mm, that's art. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpeel, and it'll be interesting to see where it sits. Uh, on the record I mean the other thing about it is we obviously we haven't heard the record yet no um, which is out on the 5th of October it's called I Loved You at Your Darkest which I believe is a quote from the Bible as well so I've right. read um, and they're touring Europe without the gates and walls in the throne room oh mate that's going to be incredible in February it? as well yeah they it's going to be incredible UK tour UK dates which I think if you, you are if you say you like metal you're kind of obliged to go to yeah. that oh, when right. I become Prime Minister I'll make it illegal for anyone who didn't go to one of those shows to say that they like metal. <laughs> That's a good idea. So vote for me. There'll only be like 2,000 people who like metal then. No, nah, about 15. The thing they're doing like four days. I mean, they're doing they're doing the forum. That's 2,000 people. Are they doing going. forum? Oh, amazing. Cool. So Wicked. yeah, and that's how I like it. Only 15,000 people are allowed to like metal because <laughs> it's underground stuff. And you can't have it. Um, right, we're going to do this new thing. Uh, where basically we were sort of inspired by the fact that when we did the episode zero Venn diagram of alternative music, we realised that there was a lot of music between the two of us that I had heard and you hadn't heard Mm. and that you had heard and I hadn't heard. Yes. So you can play along at home as well if you want. I mean, like I say, at Riot Act underscore podcast if you want to suggest anything yeah that um Renfrew or I should listen to that maybe neither of us have listened to before that you know I have listened to that he hasn't um but each week we're going to pick an album that we know the other one hasn't heard and we're going to send each other off to go and listen to these records and we're going to report back next week and we're going to have to start this week so we don't have a report this week because we're only just starting it but we are going to start we're going to give each other an album right now absolutely so go on what would you like me to listen to well last week you uh two weeks ago apologies you were saying that you um you didn't you know we we got them in to post music because you acknowledged that they were important enough all that sort of thing Uh but you said that you didn't really know loads of seager rose so i would really really like you to check out um kiveka now i'm probably pronouncing that wrong it's uh i think it's like k-v-e-i-k-u-r that sounds icelandic-y doesn't it (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) um it's uh one of their later albums actually it came out oh 2012 would be my guess off the top of my head i I I genuinely don't know i I haven't listened to seager ross in any kind of capacity since about 2005 maybe okay well this is very much the album that um it's by far and away their heaviest uh album the guardian described it as sigaros goes death metal which is Mm. not true i can't Um, imagine it is true and shows shows a complete lack of understanding about metal and its subgenres um (laughs) but uh what they were trying to get at is sonically it's very heavy i mean this is heavy as balls this this is you know king kong scrotal baskets heavy oh right like, oh, cool. okay. it, it's it's really heavy but uh 
but it's but it's undeniably Seagaros. Okay, so, well, I'm um, looking forward to listening yeah, to that. That's okay, right. well, there's another. So I'm going to give you because I know. Then again, we got them in kind of, even though you said you weren't a fan of them. Mm. I know you're not a big fan of the Stone Roses. No, and I know that I said to you I prefer Ian Brown solo you stuff, did. which is a massively controversial thing to say to a lot of people who Just do the love the Stone Roses. Yeah, but I absolutely stand by it. And as someone who doesn't like the Stone Roses, yeah, I would like you to go away and listen to the best Ian Brown solo record okay music of the spheres okay i thought so, i thought this might happen in the ian brown record yep that's yeah. fine I, look i really love ian brown solo material and i think what i love about it is it bears pretty much no resemblance to the stone roses whatsoever okay other than his voice mm, um my least favorite thing about the stone roses. <laughs> <laughs> okay well this might be quite a hard sell then but no 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 of course but yeah you've got like this record came out i think it was about five years or so after the second coming by the Stone Roses. Now, when you listen to the second coming, I actually really like the second coming, but I am aware that it's kind of um, an overblown, sort of quite a flabby right. re- record, yeah, like yeah, rock yeah. record. Yeah. Whereas when you listen to Music of the Spheres, it is so different. And I love the way that Ian Brown um, uh, didn't allow himself to become a, a sort of a caricature. Like when we spoke about Noel Gallagher yesterday, and Noel Gallagher has not attempted in any way to... Uh, try and make himself other than that dude from Oasis but playing songs on his own whereas Mm. Ian Brown went away and made a whole bunch of solo records and I would say the first I mean Unfinished Monkey Business is decent Um, Golden Greats I think is what the second one's called the one with dolphins and monkeys on it's really good this is the the one and then Solarize after it is really really brilliant as well so those first four I think were really good but this is kind of the standout one and I would be surprised if you don't at least go oh wow I didn't expect it to sound like that okay cool so um, next week Renfrey's going to come back and have listened to Music of the Spheres by Ian Brown I'm going to come back and have listened to Kiveka Kiveka by Sega Ross and we'll let you know how we get on obviously if you haven't heard either of those records give them a listen as well and yeah. let us know how you think about them and also if there's stuff that you know we haven't heard if we've mentioned like oh I've never listened to them before do it on the podcast give us a shout and we will maybe whack one of them in yeah absolutely nice okay um, we should do a few reviews a few album reviews before we get on to uh, the main event which is Mr Andy Cairns um, and uh, yeah we got five yeah. things to review this week a lot of good stuff a lot of good stuff like i say sort of catching up on things that um that have been out a few weeks or whatever first thing we're going to review is um now <laughs> i'm going to say that if you expected um from knowing me and Renfrey from any other thing that we've done written or spoken before um and you thought it was just going to be the same thing if you go and listen to this record you will know immediately that riot act is a very very different animal to oh, yeah. the other things that we've done previously. Our first album comes from Dirty Projectors. It's called Lamp Lit Pose, Prose. Mm. Uh, it's their ninth album. Uh, they're a New York-based indie band. Um, although I say it's a, the, the ninth album, this is a completely new lineup, a brand new lineup. They've ah. had so many lineup changes over the years. Um, the only main man in it, the only guy who's been in it all the way through is the kind of... Um, I guess the Trent Reznor, yeah. uh, if you like, of this band called David Longstreth. He's the only one remaining. That makes more sense to me now. Yes. Yeah, okay. um, I didn't really know anything about this band, but like I said, if you're expecting us just to talk about rock and metal a lot, we ain't going to be doing that because this is very, very different. Um, I kind of picked it because I was looking for more things in that world and I saw that this had come out, so I decided to give it a listen. I don't really know anything about Dirty Projectors, mm. but uh, I 
I feel like I do now. <laughs> um, it's interesting. It's interesting you call it an indie record because whilst that's not incorrect, well, they're an indie band. Uh, sorry, sorry. No, you did say that an indie band. It, it's not incorrect that they're an indie band. But but what what is this? What is it? I don't know what it is. Fuck I have no idea. There's bits of R and B on it. There's bits of electronica. Bits and pieces. There's there's there is indie on it. Um, folk, folk horns. Yeah. Um, big kind of sixties pop. I mean, I yes, sixties pop is. A great I show. always think right that there is a middle ground between like whatever the two things you pick there is a middle ground like a band could do those two things so for example like we've at the moment we've got Zelenada, and if you take sister rosetta tharp and emperor mm. the middle ground of that is Zelenada, mm-hmm. right yeah. i mean you could pick i don't know um minor threat and maroon five mm-hmm. and somewhere there is a middle ground between those two bands to be found, right? And I guess that's kind of the interesting thing in music now because people go, everything's been done. You can't move any further along and blah, 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 and do this and that. I guess the kind of the last thing left for interesting artists to do is to find a middle ground between two incredibly disparate things. So here for me, we have the middle ground between the Flaming Lips and Beyonce. (laughs) <laughs> that's a really good shout the flaming lips definitely came up for me um i i, I see a, quite a lot of the shins in this i don't know how much shin stuff you know i don't really know the shins oh they're fantastic they mainly became massive off of the big of uh, off the back of garden state that zach um thingy yeah Guy zach braff zach braff thank you film but um i see a lot of the shins in it there's a kind of um it's 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 enormously experimental. I mean, mm. you you really don't know where it's going to go next on first listen. Actually, even on like fifth listen, you don't really know where it's going <laughs> to yeah, go next yeah. because it's so, it, you know, it's quite tough to penetrate for a while um, because it is it is just a bit all over the place. Uh, not not all over the place in a bad way. I think it all connects within itself, but mm. you really don't know what what you're going to hear next. Mm at all at any point whatsoever um do you like this do you like it i love it you love it cool amazing okay i love it and i, t- and I tell you what's weird about it is that i love it in spite of the fact that i think the first three tracks are not good ah so i don't think the first three tracks are, are great when i first put it on it's got that auto-tuned vocal which i don't like mm-hmm. um the guitar was too it wasn't the wrong side of twee but it was going close to twee and i we thought are, it was, twee is definitely going to come up yeah and i thought it was a little bit too minimalist i liked the fact that there was a lot of horns on it and i liked the kind of harmonica in it and i thought there was some the interesting yeah. use of the lute on yeah. it as well <laughs> yeah but i really like my biggest pet peeve on the particularly the first song was the fact that it was that obviously auto-tuned um minimalist vocal which I really can't bear in pop music at the moment. It's massively overused in pop music and I hated it. And I was a little bit like, I can't handle this. I'm not sure that I'm going to like it. But as soon as track four came on, track four is called I Feel Energy. And I think if you want to go and listen to this band uh, on on this album, I would start there because you will know pretty much um, those two songs, Zombie, I Feel Energy and Zombie Conqueror, back to back. That's Zombie where, Conqueror is great. That's yeah. where this album like really picks up. I mean, I, my favourite Beck album is Midnight Vultures. Oh. Where he tried to be Prince, right? And I know people are probably going, no, it isn't. Stop showing off. Stop trying to be weird, <laughs> right? But honestly, it is because I just love like white boy funk 
booty shaking is like dancing like um John uh what's his name in in uh High Fidelity the end of High Fidelity John Cusack at the end of High Fidelity dancing really badly as a sort of middle-aged white man in a leather jacket that's what this is (laughs) and that kind of um, you're selling it very well yeah that kind of (laughs) but that mid but that kind of midnight vultures sort of loush like horns I see where you're coming from popping like but with sort of indie music with like um you know like that kind of flaming lips oddness to it Mm. I was like this is fucking great this song is fucking great and the fact that it's followed up by zombie conqueror mm-hmm. which is like the folky led zepp guitar mixed with like elo mm. i was like this is and then every song after that sounds like a completely different band there's 10 yes. tracks on it the first three i'm not sure about the last seven are fucking great well i was gonna say if you if you do start a track four the only thing is you miss the um uh track three features Haim on it mm. um which um, is that drive that's that's a lifestyle okay right yeah um which was released as a single as well um but uh i I mean it's it's strange that this record is only 37 minutes long Mm -hmm. but it actually feels much much longer yeah not in a bad way but because there's so much going on in it it's just it feels like you've just listened to your entire music collection basically in one record yeah, all being played at the same time yeah 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 in some places yeah um i have to say i admire this record more than i like it right if i'm totally honest okay um it comes down to partly what you were talking about um with the vocal for me mm-hmm. um that auto-tune thing which does great on me personally but i don't think he does it towards it's only the first couple no, of tracks it's only the first couple of tracks it's yeah, that yeah, yeah. Fo- like because you can he, he hits a lot of the falsetto there's a song on it called bluebird and mm-hmm. when he goes it's quite high and then when he goes when they kind of do almost like the West lifestyle key change, I yeah. mean, that's really kind of Sergeant Peppery's Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like it's yeah, got yeah. those massive sort of day glow harm, like harmonies and melodies in it. And then he goes up a key change yeah. and you can hear him straining to hit those notes. Well, that's the thing. It's not, um, it, it's not auto-tuned in that way because he needs it. It's clearly an artistic choice. Yeah. And you either like that or you don't. And mm. I suppose us being, you know, old farts who are used <laughs> to having stuff raw. That's the thing. A younger generation, probably that's probably just what they not not all younger people but a, a lot of people will actually just like that sound yeah. now you know and and that's just something we have to accept i think i think the thing with this record for me is just going back to that four letter word the twee right. word for 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 my tastes um there are too many parts where it goes into a tweeness that uh, just isn't for me right. so i'm i'm aware that this is a really I admire this record so much and the way that it's put together and the composition and the fact that it sounds like your entire record collection, but all works as a cohesive whole at the same time. All of that, I think, is fantastic. And I really, really, really admire it. Um, I just can't see myself listening to it much after this because the the tweeness of it irritates me personally. But that's more of a personal gripe then it is a this is no good kind of thing. I really admire it. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I when it goes, like I say, when it goes super funky, I, I think it's fucking mm. brilliant. When it goes really kind of 60s, flaming lipsy, like 
um, ELO, the Beatles, when it goes like that, but it's got kind of horns and, you know, theremin and stuff like that oh, in it as well. Amazing. And those kind of high high falsetto, uh, almost Brandon Yuri from Panic! Yeah, yeah, Disco, yeah, like um, melodies on it. I think it's I think it's fucking I think it's great. It's a huge orchestra of sound and that yeah. that's part of what I love about it and and Sgt Pepper's a great show actually. Yeah. In, t- in terms of the experimentation and the places that it goes and and stuff like that but um but um it really is it really is just 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 a personal taste thing the the mm. the, the, the tweeness factor and and it's not like that it only happens a couple of times through the record it happens on several moments i certainly agree that as the record goes on it gets better for me mm-hmm. and i find it easier to sort of take in and i i prefer it and actually uh i wasn't really aware of this band particularly before you brought brought this to me and um i really want to go back to their other stuff properly i've gone back a little bit just to hear bits and pieces but yeah. I'd like to go in a bit further because there's clearly some incredible uh, talent and songwriting skill here, but I'm just not sure if this record is for me. All right, fair um, enough. But but uh, you're you're uh, you're okay with the tweeness? Like, yeah, because I think you? like I think the melody, I think the kind of the choruses, and I think the the sort of the groove. The, not the, the, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck it, the groove i think the groove on it is just unescapable yeah fair and play. i think the twee bits kind of when it is twee the, the first couple of songs i thought oh this is re-, like there's nothing else to it but i feel like it builds and i think like as i say when i feel energy comes in it's almost like the whole band comes forward and goes boom boom but like mm-hmm. we're gonna do this kind of much more funky much more interesting thing we're gonna actually like you know the guitars become a bit more overdriven yeah and the bass really pops out at you and you know the drums are still the drums still sound electric all the way through but i love like the kind of the horns and stuff and it's not f- like you know it's not stacks era soul funky it's never going to be like that but it is like for an indie band um like i say beck on midnight vultures people fucking hate that record they mm. hate it mm. and i think it's brilliant like mm. i don't care i you know i i can't help the fact that i'm a white british guy and i don't know <laughs> fuck all about sort of funk so when i hear i just get a little tiny bit of it i'm like oh, yeah i'm all over it yeah, yeah and i yeah. think this is um this is that there's there's out of the 10 songs i'd say five or maybe even six but five of them are fucking rages which i will continue to listen to a couple of them i think are good and three of them i'm not so fussed with so it's kind of a high seven stroke mm. eight for me. Like, I don't think it's going to be on my albums of the year, but I think there's enough wicked song. Again, yeah, like you say, I want to go back and listen to the rest of their back catalogue because I think there's there's real, innovation, there's real like, interesting decisions and choices as songwriters yeah. being made here. There's real innovation. There's real kind of, obviously, a thirst to experiment with sound yeah. and with music. And I think that's, uh, that's something that should be applauded. Yeah, absolutely. And being objective, I'd probably say the same. It would be a, a high seven or an eight. Mm. Um but sometimes, sometimes you just have to be objective and, and, and also accept the fact that you don't like a choice yeah, that they've fair. made. Yeah. Not that it was a, a, the wrong choice, quote unquote. It's just, it's just, it's not your cup of tea. Yeah. But, um, but there is lots, you know, if, if, if you like interesting, experimental, expansive music within the indie realm, which also goes into a lot of other things, you could do a lot worse than check this definitely. out. Definitely. So definitely. check it out. Unless you just like metal. No, yeah, bother. then don't bother. Um, but that's the Dirty Projectors, Lamp Lit Pros. Um, the next record we're going to be talking about is Scars on Broadway, featuring Darren Malakian. 
Featuring Darren Malakian? Wow. When did Darren Malakian join Scars? Oh, he formed them. Why? Is, so the first thing, why, why has that happened? Oh, yeah. Because to sell records in it in case people forget or like the last Bush album was Bush featuring Gavin Ross well but that made more sense to me because obviously he got all that um, um, fame and exposure On from The Voice, uh, the voice. Yeah. so that you know I mean I still thought it was a crap thing to do but it, yeah. but it made sense I was like okay I understand why you've done that in this case I don't know I I, um, I so I love I love Darren Malaki and I think he's an absolute legend yep. and I love System of a Down me too um, and I love the first Scars on Broadway album shall yeah. we go into that but like, well this is the first thing he's, that he's put out in any way like in, of, of any band the first music Darren has put out since 2008 know, since the last Scars crazy, on Broadway it, album yeah. here's one for you uh, Renfrey um, as much as I love System of a Down and I very much like the last Scars on Broadway album Darren Malakian has got worse with every release of his entire career. Oh. Because System of a Down, System of a Down is the best System of a Down album. It's brilliant. Probably the one, one of the Darren great. on the least as well. Yeah. Certainly vocally. Toxicity is also a masterpiece, but I would still take the first album over it. Um, he, I always get these two mixed up. Mesmerize. Mesmerize, Mesmerize is the best of the two System is, is great and Hypnotize is, you know, good as well, but not probably not as good. Scars on Broadway is is pretty decent it's got some really good songs on it i think um you know obviously it's 10 years ago there's nothing wrong obviously with them not being as good as system of a down i mean i particularly liked um stoner hate and insane yeah, yeah. Uh, off the first yeah. uh, scars on broadway record and i think it's a it's a good record and then this has come out so darren malakian <laughs> has okay. literally got work from the day he started has got progressively minuscule amounts of getting t- tablespoons of getting worse for two decades i i i don't agree actually i have to confess um, Go on. but uh well i i i love hypnotize i think it is one of the most underrated records of the last more than mesmerize uh, that's really that's a really hard call i'm assuming you don't think it's better than toxicity or the first system of a damn record I mean, I can't even believe that. Certainly not. Certainly not better than the first. Certainly not better than Toxicity. Surely, I think it's on. Uh, this is a conversation for another day. Okay. Definitely, I need to think about that. I, I, I really, I really love Hypnotize. I think it's a phenomenal record, and and I really loved. Um, I'm a bit of a Sarah sucker for Darren Malakian, to be honest, because. I personally loved when Darren was coming in more vocally with uh, Mesmerise and Hypnotise. There was definitely kind of like a feeling that he was taking over the band a little bit more mm. and people seemed to complain about that. About that, Serge is a phenomenal vocalist and I'm very happy hearing him, but I thought the way that Darren and Serge played off of one another uh, on those system records yeah, was, that's was awesome. Thing, isn't it? That's that, yeah, like, you know, really... That's the the... the the thing that no other band can have yeah I mean, if, we're, if we're talking about two of the two of the you know, one of the greatest co-vocalist performances ever then mesmerize and hypnotize would would be a contender mm. i think it's just brilliant but we're not talking about system and we're down. not talking about system of down we're talking about the brand new album by scars on broadway featuring darren malakian <laughs> uh dictator which has been out a few weeks now um i guess all that was kind of preamble to yeah. where we are with dictator um because what, what do you think i uh, my sense is i like it a lot more than you do okay um my sense is 
this record was finished um when was it 2010 2012 it's been it's been finished Uh for a really long time and just sort of sat on a shelf and um hasn't been being released because they were kind of hoping that they would get back together and do a system record and then that never worked out blah 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 and he didn't want to release it at the you know he didn't want to release it if a new system record was going to come out Uh and i think that has massively impacted this record in a very negative way because i think if he had followed up uh the first record in say 2011 with this record i think it would have made an awful lot more sense um to i don't think it's right to say this record is dated but it does sound like it should have come out in 2011 rather than 2018 i think it's i i think the problem is is that what Darren Malakian does has become dated. Do you think so? I, well, because System of a Down were so weird and untamed mm. and bizarre and all over the gaff, you didn't know what was going to happen mm. when you got a System of a Down record, especially the first two. Yeah. Like, you didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, I always get annoyed at people when they go, oh, they were original once and they've literally fought five albums now and they haven't invented another new subgenre. It's like, well, they can't well, even yeah. reinvent themselves all the time. <laughs> yeah. But the problem with this... And also, Mesmerise and Hypnotise are pretty damn different to yeah, System and yeah, Toxicity. Yeah, they are, know? yeah. And, and that was why I think they got away with it. Mm. Like, not got away with it, but they were still writing really, really, really brilliant songs and it wasn't a, a complete, you know, just continuation of what they've been doing. It was a continuation, but it was an, an evolution of what they were doing. Whereas this, I just feel like I know what's going to happen. I just feel mm. like I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I feel like the production is not of the level of intensity that is necessary to make Darren sound wild. Surgeon Darren used to sound like on system records because of the chaos that surrounds them. They sound wild and they sound like, complete lunatics like no one else yeah right and that, that is, wild-eyed yeah, kind and of that is, i took some chemicals this morning and that and is part of the charm and the only the single moment the only single moment that i that i feel that same feeling that i get from listening to system of down on this entire record is in the title track where they go kind of your politics will never correct me yeah, that, on, me, yeah. on corrupt me yeah. on um uh, on the title track on Dictator yeah when they kind of go double time and that that kind of made me go ah and you need when you listen to people who I know it isn't System of a Down but when you listen to a songwriter like Darren Malakian who is so unique and who is so quirky and weird and mm. esoteric and unusual and just sees the things in a completely different way i feel like he's there's a there's a muzzle on this record production wise which doesn't make anything seem exciting enough like it's fine mm. it's completely mm. fine mm. As if a brand new band came out today and released this record and it was their first record well we, we'd go you're trying to rip off system of down but, um, <laughs> yeah we would but you'd still but go, i'd be excited by it you'd go oh cool yeah like there's room for improvement there's room for growth yeah here. yeah but because yeah, of yeah. the weight of the strength of the back catalogue that that he's pulling behind him I don't know. I just think that sometimes there's these bands. I mean, obviously, I've seen System of a Down twice since they've reformed. I saw them at Download 2010. They were pretty bad. And I saw them at Download 2016, where they, uh, or 17, sorry, where they were an absolute joke. And um, and I, some people only have a certain amount of 
time in them to be. I'm not sure about that because I, I saw them at Wembley Arena. And yeah, they a lot were of people outrageous. Have said this about Wembley. Uh, they yeah. played 36 songs. It was absolutely incredible. I think. I think. But creatively speaking, I, I, I do. I absolutely accept that it is a. In my opinion, it is a slightly inferior version of the first Scars on Broadway album, but I personally loved the first cars on broadway album i like right. actually loved it i really really liked it a lot i think you know it's not a competition and all that but compared to serge's solo material that first serge album mm. like dead was great and then he's got he you know he's done interesting things and i admire what he's doing and he wants to do totally different stuff but personally i would take scars over yeah just solo stuff any day of the week yeah myself. me too but i have to say on that motif mm-hmm. i would you know I would rather Serge went, I'm not going to be able to compete with System of a Down, so I'm going to go and do some stuff with an orchestra. Totally different. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, then do this. That's a valid point. And this is, this is, Scars on Broadway is effectively a poppier System of a Down. But then that's what you would expect from the primary songwriter of system he's one one of the main songwriters of system of a down i mean that is what and john the drummer i mean it is half of system isn't it yeah. this band it's just yeah. john the drummer's in in this band and and i think i suppose i would rather it doesn't seem like we're gonna get a system of a down record anytime soon if ever no. i would rather this than nothing um and i still i still personally really like it um I understand all of your criticisms and can't really deny any of them. But um, like I say, I think I'm just a sucker. I, I'm a sucker for System of a Down and I'm a sucker for Darren's style. I'm a sucker for his nasal voice, which is half irritating to some people, but I think it's brilliantly, you know, it's yeah. like crack pipes, needles, PCP, as fast cars kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I really no, I like, like that, that thing. I it's love just, that. It's a bit profits and rage. You know what I mean, it's a bit I prof- think that's a little harsh. Personally, it's a bit profits of rage. It's a bit like with it's, it's a bit it 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 feels ploddy. It feels ploddy, and it feels a bit like it's produced like a fucking radio rock band. Do you think so? I, I do think that's think a bit so. harsh. I, no, I, do I do think, think that's think a bit so. harsh. I think like there's nothing, there's nothing dangerous about it at all. Like nothing dangerous about it at all. The, the, it doesn't feel fresh, or it certainly that, doesn't feel fresh. I agree with that. It doesn't feel fresh. And there are bits where it's almost on that same track, Dictator, that it like the, the first line is basically um, don't want, or what was it? Don't want to be a dictator. And he, he does it in that sort of silly system of a down way where he's like, he said dick, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, how many times have you done that, Darren? You know, maybe change the record a bit. But then also this record was actually written and meant to be released several years ago you know yeah but you time to have a little look at do you know what I mean like let's not just fucking change it mate like mm-hmm, you don't have mm-hmm, to release mm-hmm. it at all I mean like you say you'd rather have this than no system of a damn record I personally would rather have nothing really I personally would rather have no, like I would rather have nothing than Profits of Rage mm, I, I don't would, dislike it that much like I would I would literally rather have nothing I would literally rather go go and let him go just go and listen to Toxicity again I wonder if this should be the poll this week yeah well if you want go yeah. like you know i just think you know if bands it's, it's been hanging around for fucking six years and you haven't released it and it's just like 
I get it because the thing is, like, I can't turn around and tell Darren Malakian, you shouldn't be releasing this because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. he obviously is really, Entitled really to keen yeah. to release music and he's got every right to release music. But for me, if you just had something sitting around for six years, that if you really believed in it, you would be like, no, nah, fuck it, I'm putting it out. Mm. I'm putting it out. Like, mm. yeah, it might clash with the system of down, but I'm fucking putting I don't care. This is brilliant. It needs to be heard by people. He obviously doesn't feel like that. So to me, it just feels like, a, oh, okay, I will. Re- no, I will release it. I think it's become that. And I think it's a real shame. I mean, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. Bits and pieces are treakling out. Like, you know, there was a surge. Uh, surge don't want to do it, does he? He's he Robert Plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah. Which is fine, but... Um, yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. I Personally, I'd rather this than, than nothing, but yeah, interesting. So there you go. If you are interested in um, System of a Down, but nowhere near as good when you've got all <laughs> the stuff that you could listen to, then uh, Skulls and Broadway Dictator is out now. Right, uh, Night Versus from the Gallery of Sleep is yeah. the next record we're going to talk about. Yep. Um, Night Versus are... I'm not sure where they're from. Where are they from? They're from Chicago? America. America. Uh, uh, I just said an American town. I'm going to find out whilst you... So anyway, um, this is their third record, Night Versus. They are from Long Island, New York. Not Long Island, New York. Okay, so I'm completely wrong. Um, so I've always wanted to like Night Versus, mm-hmm. right? Because every time I listen to them... I remember their, there was quite a bit of hype around them during their first album when it first came out. Mm-hmm. A lot they, of people they, said, oh, you'll love this. They talk with Let Live in this country. They did talk with Let Live. I saw them supporting Norma Jean as well. Ah, nice. And, um, and they've got... Uh, people were chucking around names like Thursday and Let Live yep. and um, Glassjaw yep. and... Um, those sort of bands names were being bandied around with this band and i listened to it and my first initial impression was it was wow i'm gonna love this and it never really clicked with me and then the second album came along and much the same thing i thought this feels like it's better and then i never went back to it um this is their third record Mm -hmm. and it feels like nobody is talking about this record nobody is talking about night versus at this point i think uh, it feels like the world has gone, you've had your chance, you've done two albums, no one really picked up on it, nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Renfrey, mm. are they right to be doing that? Of course they're not. It's ridiculous. Mm. This is, I think the thing with Night Versus is they are an insanely dense band. There is so much going on with them. I think they've been hindered by the fact that... Um, they used to have a vocalist and this third album, they used to have a vocalist in Douglas Robinson. He used to be in The Sleeping and, mm-hmm. and Night Verses. And I don't, I'm not sure what Douglas is doing now, but a brilliant vocalist as well. Really interesting. Like Daryl uh, from Glassjaw-esque kind of yeah, a little bit. rhythms to his voice and the, just the stuff that he does. Really, really interesting vocalist. And he is now no longer in the band and they are now an instrumental three piece. Mm-hmm. Again, another example of a three piece where you're like how the hell are these guys a three piece <laughs> so they've so yeah they're instrumental now and obviously that's going to turn off a lot of people because a lot of people are just like oh i need boy i need vocals um which is fine but um as a result they've kind of changed their sound quite a lot um and i think they used to be a post-hardcore band and I'm not really sure you could really even call them. A, I mean, the hardcore element of it is yeah, just gone, gone now, really. So now they're just a post-instrumental bonkers band, more in the, the, the line with sort of animals versus leaders. Animals, animals as, as leaders, leaders is, is kind is of massive thing. like yeah. influence. And, well, not influence, but massive like kind of 
uh, torch or sort of beacon for absolutely this. Absolutely. In it, in the world, funny. Yeah. That everyone sort of talked about this band when they weren't really that good, and I, it never really clicked or caught with me, even though they had a vocalist. Yeah. As soon as they lose their vocalist and become way more different and yeah. weird, yeah. it's finally the one where I go, fucking hell, oh, yeah. this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, think, I think they didn't click with a lot of people. And, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. But I, I think their records are all very, like I said, very dense. And there's a lot to them that... You you know the, the, these aren't records that you get into in two or three lessons. You no. do you need to pursue it and you need to like properly go in on it. The first thing that does hit you when you whack on this record is just how unbelievably talented these guys, particularly Nick, who's the guitar player. Nick, uh, I don't know your name, DePiro. Um, we've also got the drummer from the Fever Three Three Three, yeah, uh, Eric, who is probably one of the best drummers in the world right now mm. just doing like it's very 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 technical but then at the same time these are I, I think these are songs i don't think i mean it depends on on you know your temperament for this kind of thing and obviously i listen to a lot of this kind of instrumental music but but it doesn't feel like it's ever masturbatory you know it doesn't feel like we're just listening to three musicians who are just trying to show off it always feels like there's there's a song there and a tune and it's going somewhere. Um, and I think that is a really difficult thing to pull off in instrumental I, music. I think that for me personally, I think I feel like the vocals were sort of holding them back. Really? Because listening to it, yeah, I think the vocals got in the way of how good they were. I think when you listen to this record, the music is so good that like, there's a song on it, um, the second to last song, Phoenix Fall Phoenix Levitation, Fall, yeah, which is nine is minutes cool. long, which isn't, absolutely unbelievable like journey all the way through yeah. um you know ever the way that vice there's a song called vice wave on it as well which just sucks you in mm. slowly but surely and it builds and it builds just using kind of one really spidery riff mm. which kind of goes around everywhere and picking and the, the rhythms sort of change and mold themselves to fit it the way mm. where it kind of very subtly changes and all that stuff I feel like they've been able to, you know, you say it's not kind of masturbatory or whatever, and I don't think it is, but they've allowed themselves to indulge in the mm. idea of making this music without having to put a chorus on top or have a big hook or mm. like there's, there's, there's no kind of creed. There's no heed paid to trying to make that shit happen. Mm. And I don't think, I mean, that was always a thing Like you say that the vocalist was interesting. I didn't think he was. I, 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 got, really? no, I okay. got nothing at all from him. In fact, he just kind of got in the way and now he's not there. It took me, in fact, it took me two listens to this to even realize it, to suddenly go, where's the vocalist? Right. Okay. Cause I was listening to it and the music was so good that you, at first I didn't even notice it. And I was like, they're not an instrumental band. Oh shit. And they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. because I, I felt like the vocals were sort of, there was just nothing good oh, about them, like, okay. interesting about them at all. And and now, like, if you're going to do that type of music, if you're if you're in a world where there are the Jason Butlers and the um, Chino Morenos and mm. the Daryl Palumbos and yeah. the Jeff Rickleys, like, if you're going to go into being one of those bands with a kind of not so gr like an all right vocalist, um, you're much better off doing this. My feet, my, I I feel. Just to defend Douglas slightly, I feel like he is he is 
a step below those four vocalists you just mentioned, but a step below those four vocalists. We're, we're talking about four of the best vocalists in heavy music. Mm. So, so you know, I still think he's a phenomenal vocalist and what he does. I just I very, think, very good, yeah, very, very phenomenal good. Phenomenal's is. a bit much, but very, very good. It's just the people who he's he's really influenced are are phenomenal. Yeah, they're phenomenal, uh, and, and I think and, the best and, yeah. bands in that world need to be. That, that's the standard for those yeah. bands okay and it is and he yeah, yeah, was yeah. not that standard whereas now musically to me that that musically this band are at the same uh, the standard on this record as someone like like Tosin Abassi uh, uh, oh, yeah. leaders who is an, uh, just an absolute wizard yeah. and you listen to the guitar work on this and you go this isn't a million miles away at all we're from talking, Tosin we're talking Satriani territory yeah, Satriani Steve Vai but you know I mean n- nothing against Joe Satriani who is obviously great but at the same time I don't feel like Joe Satriani writes some songs but th- that that masturbatory thing, there is quite a lot of that as well. Especially mm. you know, Steve Vai. Yeah, there's there's loads of that kind of super self indulgent stuff where you feel like they are just trying to show off how brilliant they are. I don't feel like at any point on this record they're simply trying to show off. But you are constantly wowed by their. I mean, th- going back to that Phoenix song. There's a there's so there's a Phoenix song on every single. Uh, Night yeah. versus record was basically just a massive ten minute song where they just go all out, and this one like there's some uh, whammy bar work or whammy it's probably a whammy pedal which Tom Morello made super famous. But the stuff that he's doing with it, I mean, it sounds like someone's having a seizure or something. It's absolutely yeah. insane. Tom Morello is a great kind of yeah Tom Morello kind of thing because some of the noises they make as a three piece yeah. with that guitar is, is crazy but anyway it's stunning yeah from the gallery of sleep by night versus is out now it's if stunning. you were one of those people who heard them and wasn't really sure this is the one yeah definitely check them out again because because even if you weren't a fan beforehand this is a totally different i mean i would even argue it's interesting that they've kept the name because whilst it is three members of night versus it's such a different it is a, a totally different kettle of fish. Yeah, it is, um, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but much, a much better kettle of fish, I would say. I, 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 you know, I love the two. I love the previous two records as well. I, I've not really made my mind up. I, I, I adore this. I'm, I'm happy with mm. either or, frankly. Mm, but I, yeah, I, I, for me, it's an open and shut. This is the best record okay. by a million miles. Way, way better. Thank you. Uh, but and it's out now. Um, right, this is an EP from a brand new band They're called Urn. U R N E. That's how you spell that. Oh, I thought you were calling me. You are. You like, are <laughs> any old twat, aren't you? Um, it's called The Mountain of Gold. It's a four track EP from um, ex members of, or ex member, I think, actually, from Hang the Bastard. Now, I really loved uh, Sex and the Seventh Circle, which was the Hang the Bastard last album from 2014. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was a really, really nihilistically hate filled riff fest with some gruesome shit going on. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is not that. I feel like no. this is something that people could actually get into. If it's you're more palatable than Hang much the more palatable. Yeah. And if you're a fan of metal, um, like straight ahead metal, I mean, this has got. There's bits on it that remind me of kind of the more things change by machine head it's yes. got that kind of 90s yes. machine head crunch to it uh-huh. the last track on it um the march towards the sun uh has got um like some fucking proper amonomath gallop yeah on it as well yep there's loads of uh cool melodies in amongst the kind of 
throat ripping. Really, I like Joe, the vocalist Joe. You can hear what he's saying. Yes, he's sort of shouting, but you can actually understand what he's saying as well. And he's got a good singing voice. Yeah, and there's some cool as fuck, widdly sort of Blood Mountain era Mastodon stuff going on there as well. Yeah, that as an idea executed well by people with good caliber for me says one of the strongest eps and debut releases of the year it's it's crazy i i i listened to this and i sent you a message saying where did you find this band and i because i had no idea about the hang the bastards connection um and um again i don't see many people picking up on it when i checked their facebook page appears to have 350 likes at the moment or something like that that and yeah sort that out like follow this band check out what they're doing because you know everything that you just said is absolutely right and we should say there's only four songs on this ep yeah it is about 20 minutes long because some of those probably a bit longer than 24 minutes 24 minutes so it's six you're looking at six minutes a song yeah 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 but the amount um, (laughs) fucking love maths (laughs) but the amount of ideas that are going on in it and 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 it it moves in such a um it doesn't it doesn't feel like it jumps around like it it feels uh the synchronicity to it is perfect you know it moves in such a beautiful way and um yeah all of those bands it does sound like all of those bands you know mastodon and and it's just it's just a great metal record like from what i can hear and like you say because this is a debut release i'm just stunned it's this good this quickly it's really exciting it's really good yeah i mean it is i mean that's kind of all i have to say about it really yeah. i think if you like metal yeah. and you want metal that is a bit more interesting than just but not like you know when we say like oh it's metal it's a bit more interesting than normal like you know it, it this isn't hipster kind of uh, black gaze, you know, ambient metal no. in, any, in any kind of stretch of the imagination at all. This is. I don't think it's. I don't think it's cool at all. No, no, it's just really, it's really well made, interesting, well written metal music. Yeah, yeah. And those kind of bands at the moment are quite few and far between. I think. I think also you mentioned the singing and and yeah, Joe's brilliant at going from singing to screaming and stuff like that. And mm. and like he. Uh, it's it, there's a lot of metal bands who just seem to be afraid to to, to sing well, and mm. I understand that because singing with um with some might behind you, singing singing in a metal way that that still sounds good and sounds yeah. powerful is actually a really tough thing to do. But I think Joe does it really really well, and it's not like the the clean chorus comes in. You know, this is not like no. fucking asking Alexandria or one of those twats who no. you know just putting in sort of radio choruses mm. like it goes in and out at very odd places and some of the riffs like as you would imagine from people well, who excellent. brought you hang the bastard the yeah. riffs are huge yeah there's some really cool intricate like i say um proggy mastodony parts but for the most part it's just headbanging loveliness and yeah. it's really really wicked and four four songs are i'm i'm really looking forward to hearing more I'm really looking this. forward to seeing them live and I'm really yeah, want, I'm really looking forward to an album. I, I hope I hope they go to album next because I feel like they're ready. Yeah, uh, definitely. I feel like um, they probably didn't even need to make this an EP. They probably could have just released an album. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on in terms of their songwriting and so, so forth. I don't but. even, I think, this is, I think this has been self-released as well. Right, okay, okay, okay. So I think they're that doing all their sense. own press and uh, promotion and, you know, I'm not sure 
if anyone's picked up on it at all yet i don't know if they've got well, a pr or a manager or a label should, or anything uh, someone should do yeah, <laughs> like really do. soon yeah. it's it's um it's a really really promising start and mm. uh if they can continue along this trajectory with a full-length album that's going to be one of the most exciting metal releases of next year i would have thought yeah it should be so, really yeah. good so the band are called urn that's u-r-n-e urn like a funeral urn exactly that uh, it's called the Mountain of Gold. Um, go and give them a like on the old Facebook page. Yeah. Say we, tell them that we sent you. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Our final album comes from Birds in Row. It's called We Already Lost the World. It is a second album from a French hardcore band. The last one came out in 2012. You, Me, and the Violence. So that's six years. Yeah, six it's year taken gap, a while. Yeah. Um, between albums. But, well, that was their debut album as well. And their debut album. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. to go six years without releasing uh, your kind of sophomore record is is some gamble, but. I totally trust their label Deathwish yeah. implicitly to deliver good music for me. So I was always going to be interested in this record massively. Uh, Renfrey, go on. What do you reckon? Birds in Row. Um, I think it's a huge step up from the first record, which was already uh, the first record put them on the map for me. But at the same time, I was kind of like, okay, I'd like to see where they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very discordant. Um, it, it's tricky to get into. I don't. I don't think it's an immediate listen. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, an awful lot going on, which takes a while to penetrate. And I've been. This is the album that I feel like of all the records that we've had this week, it's the one that I wanted the more time with the most. If that makes sense. Okay. Because I can. I know there's something really, really good happening here, um, and I like it a lot. But I don't feel. I. I I'm seeing a lot of people say some crazy ass shit about this record like do you want to hear some more (laughs) i'm sick okay (laughs) i'm seeing a lot of people saying uh like it's one of the best hardcore albums like ever basically comparing it to there's touche amore things in there i think and um i heard i saw someone say like it's the best hardcore record since everything you ever want to know about silence or something like that and i'm just like what which is a really weird comparison to make because whilst they're both hardcore records yeah this is in a totally different stratosphere I mean, but i was everything like, you've wanted to know about silence isn't the best hardcore record since everything you want to know about silence. no so, no like, yeah really yeah, yeah, thing yeah. To say. but but people are going totally crazy over this record mm-hmm. i think it's very 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 good so do i i don't think it's an absolute modern classic in the way that people are saying it is okay no maybe not maybe not a modern classic but when it comes to the end of the year and i put together 20 records to represent my favorite 20 records yep. of the year I would be stunned uh, if, okay. this, if this isn't in it. Okay. I would be absolutely just bewildered as to how 20 records are better than this. I think it's fucking brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely kind of designed salt for my taste. Really, Did you, yeah, it? I was going like, to say, it's more it, I am, more you than I am a, a lover of this type of thing. Um, was it instant for you? It wasn't instant, but it mm. was about three listens. It, my my inst my first instant reaction to it was this is really good, and then three four listens down the line, I was like, no, nah, this is really good. I think I've listened to it five times, and um, it, it, it's own it's be- it's now just beginning to make sense for me, which is why why I kind of wish I'd listened to it, uh, had a bit more time with it. You know, yeah. it, it's it's just beginning to 
click for me. So I might feel totally different in a week or two. Yeah. And I think it is really, really good. And I'm going to keep pursuing it. Um, and they're clearly like, they're a really arty band. They're a really arty hardcore band. I yeah, they say. are. But I think, I mean, what I like about it is this it is the kind of um, the, the broody, mathy, unreconstructed emotional parts of you said touche and more i'm going to stick with touche and more that kind of um you know uh dirty punk but mixed i think with the kind of the punishing rip nature of uh like the ripping nature of early um hope conspiracy i think the vocalist reminds me of kevin baker from the hope conspiracy i know like a lot of people who uh, are into hardcore might have listened to Hope Conspiracy and been more familiar with them when they kind of um, just before they split up and like metalcore was getting big then. But yeah. if you listen to Cold Blue, the first Hope Conspiracy record, which is way more kind of DIY produced, you listen to Kevin's voice on that and he re- it's a real kind of throat terror. And there's a song on it, We Versus Us, which I just think there's like Canary Yellow, Ether by Canary Yellow by Death Heaven, Ether by Black Peaks, and this are like the three best songs of the year for me. Wow. Like it, it's fucking amazing. That kind of, the way it kind of starts really broody um, and just sort of this almost Joy Division-y kind of bass, just like all built around this really like uh, thumping industrialized bass yeah. until it, just this finale of pure anger the way it builds up over sort of four and a half minutes is fucking staggering Mm. i think so i love the like i absolutely love this record is it in the same league as jane doe or the opposite of december or you know the black is beautiful or great britain or Mm. or something like that i'm not sure i'm not convinced it is it's you know and i've heard for i've heard a lot of people say that and i'm i'm Um, just like this is awesome yeah but let's just take a let's take a step back a second and go is it really that i mean when i listen to something like like obviously you know the the most obvious one is forever by code orange if you're talking about like big hardcore records of the last 18 months i don't really think as good as this is and as different it's very very different to code orange obviously but i don't really think you could look at it and go oh it's comparable to that because i just don't think it is i think this is a set of you know what is it 11 really really fucking brilliant Uh, it's it's nine nine okay although it does it does again it it kind of feels more expansive it's only 35 minutes of this record but there's so much different stuff going on on it uh, it does feel longer, but again, in a in a good way, not in a bad yeah. way. But if you're into kind of, you know, like say Touche Amore or La Dispute or any of those bands, mm. I think this is definitely something which you should, I and, think, and you want something that's a bit heavier as well, then you should definitely go and check uh, it out. Did you, did, I, I thought there was a bit of Grady vocally, uh, Will Haven. Did, did, did yeah, you touch that? that. A little I bit. mean, yeah, no one really sounds like him. Apart no from one him, really but. sounds like Grady, but but I, I only sort of say that as well because um, the first couple of listens, the vocals and this is you know i was familiar with their first record the vocals were a bit off-putting for me right and um i, I I'm, I'm into it now but it took took me a little bit of time so cool. i think this is definitely something that you need to live with for a little while yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's clearly worth I, I can't wait to see them live yeah i really want to see I'd them love live to, yeah and i imagine i will love it 
all ten like twice as much after yeah. I've seen it live. Usually so. hardcore bands are better live. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. To be yeah. honest. But anyway, that's out right now as well. We already lost the world by Birds in Row. It's great. So um, I spoke to Andy Cairns from Therapy. Ooh. I say I spoke to him. I haven't actually, as we record this, I haven't actually spoken to him yet. Time so is an illusion. Let's hope that we get on well. We have spoken before, <laughs> so I think we will get on. But um, they have a new album out, Therapy, called Cleave, which comes out on the 21st of September 2018. That's this mm. year. And um, we'll be reviewing it when yeah, it comes out definitely. as a little spoiler. I'll have a little chat to Andy about it beforehand. But um, that's for the future. We wanted to talk to him about the past. Now, this is a kind of thing that we're going to try and do as much as possible, getting artists in to talk about underrated albums or periods in their career that have kind of been glossed over. And certainly mm. for me, Suicide Packed You first is a period in therapy's career which um, is oft overlooked, particularly when you consider the musical climate in which it was released. Um, So, yeah, I spoke to Andy Cairns about all things Suicide Pact You First. Here he is. All right, it's our first ever guest ever on the Right Act podcast. Andy Cairns from Therapy. How you doing, man? Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for joining me. great. Thanks very much for having us on. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, You are, I think you're a very apt opening guest for this podcast Mm -hmm. because um, we are a podcast kind of trying to celebrate all different types of alternative music yeah. and therapy are a band who I think uh, are one of the bands who have done the most stuff <laughs> if you know what I mean yeah, within yeah. the realms of alternative music um, and we obviously like I said to you before we started recording we want to kind of talk about um, uh, albums that are maybe not as uh, the, the most obvious record that you would talk about with a band mm-hmm. which is why today we want to talk about your album from the year 2000 Suicide Pact You mm-hmm. First and uh, now, when I say that straight away, uh, we're doing that conversation. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Uh, that was the first thing with that album was it was just not just the music, but the whole thing surrounding the whole thing. It was cacophony. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was complete carnage, but it was just it was done during a lot of it was upheaval cacophony. I was going to say the kind of to kind of like you'll have to quote me if I'm wrong on any of this, but. From as, as I see it, the kind of the history of therapy reads like you guys get together, um, I guess kind of alternative rock and Nirvana and stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that, you have a huge success with mm-hmm. Trouble Gum, um, go on to kind of, you know, win Kerrang! Album of the Year, mm-hmm. uh, to get nominated for an MTV award. Do the follow-up, Infernal Love, mm-hmm. which is a much darker, much more different album, which confused mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of people at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and then you went away for a bit, came back with Semi-Detached, uh, which I think was probably, for my money, a similar sort of record to Trouble Gum, mm. much more in the mold of Trouble Gum. Mm. But um, if, am I right in saying A&M, your album, your, sorry, your, your label at the time, uh, actually kind of folded right in the middle of your kind of promotion? For that record they did yeah yeah right <laughs> so you guys are kind of left i guess in the lurch in what, 98 99 yeah 99 yeah. in a very very different uh place that the music scene was in rather than the kind of post nirvana um post nevermind world you're looking at new metal pop punk mm-hmm. the kind of rise of the warp tour the rise of american bands mm-hmm. uh and all of this goes into inform suicide pact you mm-hmm. first is that fair? Yes, the, everything leading up <laughs> to that record. Um, everything, I mean, it wasn't... It felt like what had once been our trajectory from 1989 when the band formed up until Trouble Gum mm. had been an upwards curve yeah. completely, and I mean, a really, really fast one. Within releasing our first single in 1994, years later, we'd sold over a million records, and we were 
on the covers of magazines were getting played on mainstream radio. But then, nearly just as quickly, after Infernal Love confused people, we did another album, Suicide Pact, in 98, which was done... The album was just out, and then the record company folded. Yeah. So by the time we got to Suicide Pact, it was a real siege mentality within the band. Yeah. Because we were looking at originally releasing that record ourselves, and we had, we had noticed that everything around us seemed to be crumbling. We'd lost a founding member of the band, Five Ewing. He had mm-hmm. gone. We were now a four-piece. We were trying to adjust still to having four members in the band, not three. So by the time we came to make that record, it really was, um, we didn't know where we fit it within the culture. We didn't know where we fit it within the band because there was now four people, two of whom were you know, relatively new boys in the band. Mm. So it was, it was challenging times to say the least. And how did you feel about the kind of the scene surrounding you? Because I'm interested that I know obviously yourself and particularly Michael mm-hmm. is a huge metal fan mm. and metal of a sort was kind of the dominant thing at that yeah. point in the year 2000, but it was metal that was Limp Biscuit or Linkin Park. Yeah, yeah. I think it was kind of pre, slightly pre Linkin Park, but you're looking at, you know, Chocolate Starfish by of course, um, yeah. Limp Biscuit. That yeah. was the kind of people's idea of metal. Yeah. When you looked at that stuff, and I know obviously you had a bit of experience of playing with those sort of bands mm-hmm. as well. How did you feel about that? And where did, did you look at it and go, well, fuck, like how are we meant to maneuver ourselves around these bands? Well, whenever I look back at it, the, the thing I think, first of all, was it seemed so grossly unfair because we had mm. seen, whenever we played Donington in 94, mm. Phil Alexander from Kerrang! at the time said to me, you guys have got short hair and you're on the main stage at Donington. You, this might not end well. Yeah. He said, you know, because you're the first band, I think, with short hair to play a Monsters of Rock Festival. Mm-hmm. He said, trouble gum the metal, the metal lot like it, but to see three guys with short hair, it might be bottles of piss raining across his barriers. Just brace yourself. Yeah. And we played it and it was brilliant and it was we went down really really well and we got album of the year as you mentioned and crying other metal publications all across the world you know south america europe made an album of the year but then a year later when we did the misstep of releasing infern love in people's eyes just as soon overnight most of the metal lot that had been wary of us because we were a bit indie turned against us mm. and by the time we came to do suicide pact we couldn't believe that everyone had short hair playing metal. <laughs> That's true. Do you know, they all had yeah. short hair. Wasn't, yet, you know, we were seen as unfashionable. And we, we thought, looking back on it, we knew that certain members of Limp Biscuit had come to, you know, they were fans of the band, we'd heard that from. I know Jonathan Davis from Corn in 94 told me that, you know, we were one of his favourite bands at the mm. time. You know, Corn at one point were going to open for us in America. Mm. I mean, this is before they blew up. And, you know, we kind of liked a lot of the initial records with these new metal bands, but the press, and not even the press, to be fair, the punters, all of a sudden we were seen as grossly unfashionable and unfair mm-hmm. and we thought it's this isn't this doesn't seem fair because we sort of to a certain extent us faith no more helmet yeah we paved the way for this kind of music to be here and all of a sudden it's almost seen as i don't know it just seemed incredibly unfair that's yeah. all i'm saying yeah it's an it's an odd it was an odd thing to see i mean i particularly I, I was going to ask him, this is sort of a couple of years before, but you guys actually stepped in at the last minute for Corn mm-hmm. at the UK Ozfest That's right, yeah. in 1998 at the Milton Keynes Bowl. So the day that Corn pulled out, and I know yeah. a lot of people, myself included, yeah. were it's like hugely excited to see Corn. Of course, yeah. And then you guys stepped in, which yeah. I think to a lot of people felt like an odd. I mean, I, I, I was fine yeah, with that, yeah. but I'm not sure that a lot of people were. And I remember being there and people going man therapy are going to get the brunt of it going on after pantera yeah. in between the food fires and pantera yeah. where corn should have been yeah. how was that as a as a gig well we do, i mean we had done a tour with aussie in america in 1996 
and this was way before the Osborne, so Sharon was there the whole tour. Mm. And that Ozfest thing, our manager got a call from Sharon herself, and look, can you do us a favor? Corn have pulled out. And whenever we got the call, I remember we were in West London at a hotel, we'd just done some rehearsing. And I said to Michael, who's, as you know, Michael's encyclopedic about metal. I yeah. said, I don't really know. We're on after Pantera and we're standing for corn. I don't feel right about this. We could get booed off. And Michael said, like, give metal fans a chance. You're the, the most up, up for it fans in the world. Mm. Yep, they'll all be gutted that they won't see corn, but come on. What, would they, what else are they going to get? You know what I mean? At least we'll put on a good show, whether they like us or not. And it was all right. In the end, you know, we got there and it was a bit... Um, everyone was making remarks. Mm -hmm. A bit like Monsters of Rock four years earlier. Everyone mm -hmm. was saying, oh, you're going to get booed off. And it was actually all right. You know, it wasn't the same kind of reception we would have had if we'd played that in 94, 95. Yeah. But it wasn't the nightmare that we were expecting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, to kind of, again, go like a little bit further on the old semi-detached semi mm. album cycle in the kind of preparation for the record. Um, so what happened exactly with A&M? Because I actually remember Church and Noise felt mm. like you guys played TFI Friday That's on right, Church yeah, and Noise yeah. and it felt like the swell was kind of coming back mm -hmm, around. Mm -hmm. And then I remember knowing that I think Lonely Crying Only was the second single from that yeah. record. And these are the days obviously when you had to go out and buy, like I would go out and buy singles yeah. and you know, I would go to the record shop and I remember quite easily been able to buy Church mm. and Noise yeah. and never finding Lonely Crying Well, only. that was exactly what happened. And is that just mm. basically, it was just suddenly the, like the, the tap turned off? The tap was turned off literally. That mm. was, they said, well, we'll release it, but this is, they were releasing it when there was about, you know, there was an empty cupboard in A&M's office and one yeah. member's staff working. It was literally, we get told the album had been out and they were said, okay, well, you've got Sheldon producing this. People like Church and Noise. It's quite heavy, but it's catchy. Lonely Crying Only is a great single. We'll release that second. It's yep. a bit like Screamage or Nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's catchy. And then we were told at the... I remember that exactly. We were at the Werchter Festival in Belgium. We were on the main stage. And we were told by our manager, said, A&M has folded. But there's a guy here from London Records has flown over to say that you'll be still part of the... It was Polygram. Right, okay. They own five or six labels, Island yeah. Records and all that. And they said, well, you'll be, you'll be part of the Polygram family. We're going to sign you to London. So don't worry about it. So we went, okay. And they, they brought a film camera with them, London Records. And we did that. Oh, we're therapy. We're glad to be on your label. Right. So then uh, Church and Noise came out. It was still on A&M. And we thought what was going to happen was there'd be like a smooth transition. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was, we just got a call going, no, that's it. And this was before we went on a massive, massive tour. And there was no record company. They said, there's no record company funding. There's no record company funding for Lonely Crown Only. There's some stock there that they've got pressed up. That'll just get trickled out into the shops. There's no budget for promotion. So you won't be doing any TV or radio sessions. And you won't have a label because London have turned around and the MD has said he doesn't want therapy on the label. So you're without a label. So literally what we had to do is we looked at the costs of bringing a tour bus, a full crew. Yeah. And myself and Michael were still relatively wealthy from trouble gum and nursing in Fernlove. So we paid for six months touring ourselves. So we paid for the bus hire. We paid for the drivers. We paid the road crew. And at this point in time, um, Martin McCarrick, cellist and guitarist, and um, Graham Hopkins, mm -hmm. the drummer, they were on wages um, from the band. So we paid their wages as well. So, uh, so me and Michael spent the guts of a very small fortune to get the rest of the tour off the ground. <laughs> and presumably this is the sort of thing that feeds into the mindset that goes into making the next record. Um, mm. So let's talk about how you kind of the, the, where this record has come from so suicide pack you first had was it 
recorded before because you signed to arc 21 mm -hmm. uh did that happen before the records uh like wh when did the kind of signing into the recording and writing process start we started writing pretty much immediately when we when we finished touring Sammy detached and we mm. just sat down well we sat down with myself and michael sat down and we said look five's gone a long time ago the other two were making noises about i think they had signed up for a band that was a top 40 band yeah that were on the covers of magazines and we're on a major label with a worldwide deal. <laughs> and after, you know, they'd signed on a year later, they were looking at a band that had no label, that wasn't ah. getting any radio play, yeah. that they were, that, you know, especially Graham. Graham was still very young. So he was going home and all his mates were going, what, what, what are you doing with this thought? You know, no one cares anymore. Mm. So, so they had that. So me and Mike said, well, well, there's two things we can do. We can either just cut our losses and go. We've already spent a fortune. Or we can keep going and we decided the two of us that we would keep going so we sat down with our two boys and said this is what we're going to do if you don't like it you can go elsewhere and i remember at the time uh graham hopkins was nearly off at one point he said well you know what what's the alternatives and all this and we said it's up to you but the end he said he would be in so we, we said we would record the album rehearse and then we were going to pay for it all ourselves we were still using all our own money mm -hmm. and what happened is we began to ask labels at this point in time so we talked to all the main labels um we did get interest from other ones one of them was uh roadrunner records but they were concerned that maybe we maybe go a bit more like limp biscuit and like deftones they said you know that's what's selling you guys were around doing teeth grinder and that kind of stuff you'll design what you maybe need to tailor make you know we weren't comfortable with that there was another couple of labels uh indie labels were after us and eventually we decided we'd do it ourselves and then at the last minute arc 21 that we're part of the universal family because all the, the labels that had been on polygram like a and m and london and yeah. all those they suddenly whenever a and m shut all those labels got bought over by universal yeah so somebody at universal that used to work at a and m put us in touch with steve that's not Marshall Records and Steve came down he heard the demos and then we recorded it. he said okay well let's go for it so then you know we'd already written the songs we'd already demoed them so then he greenlit it and he said right I'll pay for the recording and right okay um, going into writing those songs then presumably uh, obviously quite a fraught period in the mm. band's history yeah. um, what was the kind of mindset like in writing those songs because I listened to that record I mean I'll, I'll be perfectly mm. frank with you about when I, I bought the record the day mm. it came out as I had done the previous t couple mm. um, as a kind of huge fan from yeah. the kind of trouble gum onwards yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. having like I hadn't got nurse or oh, you yeah. know, at yeah. that point and I literally went wow I, I, <laughs> have I been given the right CD yeah. I'm not sure this is the same band no you weren't alone a lot before. of people did that I was like what I, I and I didn't even know what it was yeah. immediately as somebody especially you know like I say, with bands like Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park and Korn mm -hmm. and, and those sort of bands that were getting big and bands like Seven Dust were around at that yeah. time, it was really, really odd to hear a band go, now nah, fuck it, we're going to let everything bleed out the sides. Yeah. It's going to be not unproduced, but like dirty as fuck yeah. and really, really raw and kind of often your vocals are incomprehensible. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I genuinely don't know what this is mm. so i mean talk me through the kind of mindset about how how those those songs came to pass and how uh how conscious a stylistic decision it was to go down that avenue well to go full pelt down the uh, cacophonous strip was a producer decision 
because we've written some demos that weren't as unhinged as the recorded versions mm-hmm. and we got in touch with um terry date who had done an aussie track with us in aussie he'd done a version of uh iron man with us in aussie yeah, in yeah, los yeah. angeles and he'd said to us you guys ever want a producer give me a show he'd done pantera soundgarden yeah. all this so we said to Steve at Arc 21, look, can we give Terry Date a call? And he went, yeah, yeah, sure. So Terry Date came back and said, yeah, I'll do the album for you. It'll be about $300,000. And uh, Arc 21 went, you know, with all due respect, that's a, at, that, at the time, that was a lot of money for mm-hmm. an album. He went, you know, because Trouble Gun Money cost about a quarter of a, well, not only, but it was about a quarter of a million at the end of the day with everything else right. added on, all the PR. This was just for the p- producer alone without the paying the studios in. And then we got in touch with a guy called Guga Gagarth, uh, who's done, I think, uh, of, yeah, and all that, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and he said he was interested, he'd like trouble gum, then he heard the demos and he went, I don't like this material. <laughs> we got in touch with, who's the other guy did, uh, Marlon Manson, he used to be in a band called Bark Market. Oh, Dave, Dave Sardi. Yeah. yeah, we sent him the demos because we'd toured with Bark Market in America and we got yeah. his phone number, we said, Dave, can we send you some demos? He went, no, no problem. We sent them to him, he went, I don't like this material. And then there was Joe Barisi who had done the Queens of the Stone Age album yeah. that Graham Hopkins knew. So we said, well, the phone Joe, Bar- Joe Barisi and Joe Barisi had always told us he loved the band. We sent Joe Barisi the demos. He came back and said, this is awful. I don't like this. Wow. So we had not only the punters and the British rock public telling us we were terrible. We've got producers going, I don't get this. So then at that point in time, we thought, you know what? Well, if that's what they want, if they don't really don't like this, let's be as obnoxious as possible. Let's just make this like our first album, Baby Teeth was. Let's make even Virgin on the avant-garde with the sound, let's make mm. everything bleed, let's record it live. And at this point in time, we'd, the record company had come through with a couple of producers, one of which was Head, who'd worked mm-hmm. with PJ Harvey a lot. So we met him and he loved it. He said, I didn't like Trouble Gum. He said, I didn't like Infer in Love. He said, I thought they were just too polished. I really loved your first two albums and this is more like your first two albums. Mm-hmm. So that was the mindset. And the first song I wrote then was, I was about two in the morning, I was living in Docky, which is just outside Dublin. And I was really, really hacked off and I really felt paranoid and I felt as if everything was against me. And I got my, at a Fender Jaguar at home and I put it in an open tune and lifted a slide guitar and I was playing along with a track called Nub by the Jesus Lizard. Yeah, and that's Just to declutter my mind. And I started writing this riff for Wall of Mouths and I brought it into the guys the next day and they were going, right, this is kind of where we're at. So. We, we put he's not that kind of girl in next and mm. the whole idea then was we were going to make this as gnarly and as nasty as possible that was from the get-go once we did the demos the demos were a lot cleaner than the album these were the ones we sent to the producers yeah but after all the producers had turned us down we deliberately went as far left of the dial as we could that's very brave mm. i mean i think i i kind of miss the the idea that a band who are popular and established i mean i guess from what you say it's you kind of reached the point where it was almost mm. like, well, we've kind of got nothing to lose. Well, really. We did so feel like that, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think it's, you know, I, I think when you, so many bands, especially now, I think it's probably because it's so hard to get mm-hmm. a sort of modicum of success. Mm-hmm. When you do get a bit of success, I feel like bands are so desperate to cling onto it that they'll just get poppier and poppier and poppier. And when you see bands kind of lose their label or, or mm-hmm. you know, kind of fall out of favour with the, the, the public or whatever, it feels like now the thing to do is to go, oh shit, well, we'd, we'd better write a hit single or yeah. we'd, we'd better kind of find some producer who's, mm-hmm. you know, done remixes for justin timberlake or cardi b or some sort of popular like artist with the idea that a band who kind of six years before were kerrang's album of the year Mm. and playing at the main stage of donnit and just went nah fuck you then i i just 
I miss that attitude in rugby. It feels mm. like that's something which doesn't happen enough these days, and it's mm. a it's a real shame that you don't. And and the kind of the result of it is you get an album like Suicide Pact you first, yeah. which is just a, an incredibly interesting listen for the people for the people that know about it. Yeah, uh, I think really really love it. Um, and and it's a great record. I've sort of gone off on one way. That's not really a question, to be honest, Andy. No, but I, <laughs> I really a, appreciate that. That's just an observation. I, I really honest. appreciate it. Thank you. No. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. And um, I, I was going to talk to you. So obviously you recorded the album after talking. It's funny to sort of talk about Terry Date and mm. spending, you know, 300 grand on an album. But you ended up recording the album in Milton Keynes. You, we, did, right? yeah, we did, Sunny yeah. Sunny Milton Keynes. Yeah. Um, pourquoi? We had done the drums uh, for Infernal Love, Milton Keynes. It was owned, right. it's actually, it was, it was Great Linford Manor Studios. It was owned by uh, Pete Winkleman, that is now the MK, MK Don's, Don's guy. Dude, yeah. okay. And right. he used to work for Bronze Records back in the day with mm -hmm. Motorhead. And he had this studio, and it was, it's an amazing studio, the full-size football pitch at the back, swimming pool, yeah. all mod cons, Neve desk. And I think at the time, I think the whole Wimbledon FC, if, if, if Don was about to happen, mm -hmm. and Pete had kind of lost interest in music. Right. And I think he was, it was on the cards that he was going to sell Great Linford Manor. Mm -hmm. So he kind of put about, he had Skunk and Nancy in there. We had done some drums from Fern Love in there. So whenever Head was asking about, he got it at an amazing price. You know, it's a, it's a really expensive studio. And Pete said, yeah, I remember Therapy. They did the drums here. Yeah, they can have it for eight weeks for whatever, you know, and it was quite a low cost. And the good thing about it was it was in, in the middle of nowhere. It says it's in Milton Keynes, but it's not even near anything. Right. It's like a five mile drive from anything else. It's, a, it's an old townhouse with a studio in the back and there's nothing for miles. Mm -hmm. So that's why people can make as much noise as possible. But it, do, it does get a bit isolated, you know, so you really are alone. And unless anyone wants to drive at two o'clock in the morning for another five miles to get something, there's nothing, you're stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of our headspace at the time. Were you, I mean, in the nicest possible way in the most polite way mm. were you guys did you start to feel like you were losing the plot a bit because I remember kind of reading the reviews as it came out and there was I mean I think we should probably talk about God Kicks which mm -hmm. I think was the one that people spoke about yeah. the most which I believe you recorded in the woods at two in the morning somewhere yeah I mean it was like literally at that point in time over the years you know therapy has been known to, to drink and take drugs. But by the time of Suicide Pack, the whole thing came with the attitude was, for me anyway, I'm drinking every day and I'm drinking, I'm starting as soon as I get up. So like literally no idea was out of bounds. But the good thing about it is I, at that point in time, I could function when I was drunk. You know, if, if, yeah. I, if I did that in the studio now, I, would, I couldn't play a riff, you know. Mm -hmm. But back then, because I'd sort of become this hardened drinker over years of touring, I just had all these ideas. So I was that annoying guy. And stuff like God Kicks was literally... We were packing up the gear for the night and I had this idea to do a Tom Waits track, which I'd written earlier that day whenever Graham was doing his drums. And I said I wanted to record it outside so it would be a bit more lo-fi and a bit more verite. Yeah. And um, Head was up for it, but you know, Head, Head had a few drinks in him as well. So we were all out. Martin McCarrick was out there. We were out in the, the grounds of the studio doing this. That's and it, it just seemed to make sense because that's what we were going for. Martin McCarrick had a art exhibition at the studio while we were there too. Right. Because he's a very good artist and he had made an installation one day whenever it wasn't his turn to play his parts. And at the end of the day, he said, oh, I've made an installation. So he'd, he'd drawn huge <laughs> pieces of watercolor art and made sculptures right. and placed them in the rec room of the studio. The, I mean, we were just on the whole time. There was yeah. no switching off time. And 
when we came out of the studio at two in the morning, we stayed up to four listening to other bands and, and watching movies. Yeah. We had about two hours sleep and then we get up really badly hungover. So we'd had a hair of the dog and went straight into it again. Do I remember rightly? Now, I've, I've tried to do my research a little bit for this. I mean, I've got to be honest, a lot of mm. what I'm talking about is purely from memory. Just mm. like I thought that was a kind of better way to come in, just talk about it from memory. But I did try and Google about God Kicks getting played at two in the morning in the forest and then the tapes being better. Like, I'm sure I remember some sort of, I'm sure it was Michael McKeegan mm. uh, talking about yeah. black metal and how yeah. he wanted to kind of invoke the spirit of black metal by burying the tapes after you'd recorded that song am i making have i re-remembered that wrong no i don't think i think it's it's halfway there something happened with the tapes right i think uh, where we were outside uh, the recorder had got muck in it okay or dirt in it from somewhere and there was a glitch in the recording which we had to actually keep in the end because mm -hmm. it was we just liked the vibe of the recording so much we yeah. were listening to i mean we'd bought uh, that book We'd all bought Lords of Chaos. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, Michael, I didn't know any of these bands. So, I mean, I was saying that we were listening to me. So we'd finish at two in the morning, go, Michael, Emperor, what are they all about? <laughs> Michael would literally bring in Emperor Records and we'd sit at two in the morning, listen to Emperor and Abruptum. Right. And all these bands. And we get completely obsessed with the whole lo-fi ethic of black metal as mm. well. And, you know, apart from tremolo picking, which I do of a lot, there's not really much of the aesthetic of black metal mm. in therapy. But I think we just found it so exciting. And that book as well just forgive the pun it just found the flames of the yeah, whole yeah. thing yeah 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 and it, i mean that song as well god kicks like it's, it's i was gonna say it kind of reminds me of tom waits but that mm. account, obviously what sort yeah. of things we, i was gonna ask what sort of things you were listening to um because it feels very consciously like um like i said earlier it was very different from what mm. was popular in rock at the time and it feels kind of very consciously i always listen to it as a nod back i mean i remember i remember hearing jam jar jail mm -hmm. and that kind of squalling lead that sort yeah. of um underpins the whole thing yeah. and just being like i don't think i've ever heard it like you know kind of yeah. being sort of 19 20 yeah. years old thinking i don't think i've ever heard anything like this before yeah. and obviously now i've got the stooges records yeah. and i go oh fuck like that's yeah. like that that kind of lead that kind of you know the ashton brothers i'm glad you noticed that actually because but yeah it, it was, it was sort of fun house was a big was a big reference point for us well i was gonna say like there's mm. the same sort of um sonic nihilism mm -hmm. to suicide pack yeah. you first a kind of wild sonic nihilism mm -hmm. that uh that is definitely present on an album yeah. like funhouse so what other things were, were kind of going through your mind that you wanted to capture when well, you were well the funhouse thing first of all that's one of my favorite records of all time no, it's always I mean, it's, it's just incredible yeah, yeah. from down on the street onwards to new la blues it's just a masterpiece and head from um the producer he loved it as well and what we loved about it was Iggy just said they, they brought a PA into the room and they mm. set up and there's I, I've got the box set of it have you heard that with all the different tapes yeah I've got yeah. I think I've got a, I've got a deluxe remaster I'm not yeah. sure if it's a full box set but I've got and some sort of so much that. There's, I mean to be honest there's only so many versions of Lucy <laughs> yeah. you really need to own but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, it's know. great but so what Head did was he did the same thing as the Stooges so a lot of those guitar sounds are literally me in the room the guitar's feeding back because I'm so close to the amp mm. there's bleed from Martin McCarrick's amp or cello and the symbols are bleeding into it as well but that but because head knew that's what we wanted we kept it yeah yeah and that that was that there was the Beefheart because i know we, i was talking about Beefheart because head had worked a lot with pj harvey and she's a massive mm. Beefheart fan mm -hmm. and he was going i didn't i didn't realize you'd like Beefheart, you know because you're sort of more of a metal punk band so we talked about Beefheart. so he's not that kind of girl the opening track that came from the Beefheart thing right a lot of the odd um instrumentation like the odd instrumentation sounds came from stuff like swordfish trombones because that mm -hmm. was another reference point that we had as well right and um it was really just you know this was that was kind of stuff that whenever we mentioned 
the Stooges and Captain Beefheart and Tom Waits heard the producer automatically went, yes, I know all about this. I don't know about Ozzy Osbourne, you know, but right, okay. I guess I can get my head around <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. Yeah. What, what's interesting to me as well is that there's this record of kind of, like you say, sonic terrorism mm. and sonic nihilism from a band who are known for kind of writing big riffs with mm. sort of, you know, alternative rock hooks and stuff yeah. on it. And, and, um, and that's kind of how you made your name. And then this album comes along. The funny thing about it is, and, and I think this was the moment where I was like, because I listened to it at first and mm. having had the sort of three previous records, mm. I was like, oh, you know, if Infernal Love was a curveball, this, yeah. this is a real curveball. Yeah. But I think when it clicked with me that this is, you know, not just you going, losing your mind and not really knowing what you're doing, it was more of a kind of conscious effort, is the last track on its sister, mm-hmm. to me, would fit comfortably in the sort of alongside songs like you know uh scream major mm-hmm. and and you know nowhere or any of those kind yeah. of big songs i listened to it and i was like that's the therapy more much more i mean it, it, i think production wise it's yeah. still a lot more ragged yeah. but certainly in terms of a song that, that you guys wrote around that period you've yeah. almost left the what i would look at and go that is the if there is a hit single on this mm-hmm. record that's it yeah. and you stuck it right on the end yeah, people love that. It's funny because initially when we wrote that song, initially it was very like, yeah, ther- not therapy by numbers, but it, it was almost a bit like a 21st century version of the cult. Mm. It was very, very melodic, very mid-paced, very groovy, very dancey. And uh, the initial bass line just followed the root notes of the chords and it was very, very much four to the floor. And then it was, that alt-rock thing, the chorus really kicked in. Yeah. But when we got on the Stooges vibe, and we were also listening to a lot of Spaceman 3 and Loop. Right. We changed the bass line. So the bass line of Sister has got a hypnotic psych rock thing about it. Yeah. Where it almost loops around the one riff again and again. And that completely changed the attitude of the song. So it went from being more towards an alt rock MTV 120 minutes thing to being a complete, you know, psych rock wig out. Mm. And that's what tipped the balance. And I think, yeah, if, if we had done that record under Chris Sheldon two years previously, it would have been more of a three minute, 15 second alt rocks, seven yeah. inch single. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then to finish, I mean, this is the other thing I want to talk to you about as well. Uh, the album ends with a secret track, um, which is called- As I, I Pursue as My I Way pursue, On The Arms. Yeah, yeah, which is what, 15 minutes yeah. around of yeah. like you walking through a shopping center in Milton Keynes yeah. with a kind of very somber cello and some woman having an argument with a kid and mm. then you sort of shouting things at, like um yeah talk us through that well we um <laughs> we were listening to an awful lot of the stuff the way our listening would go we'd, we'd work until two or three o'clock sometimes later mm. then we'd, we'd be fired up so mike would play black metal or i'd play the stooges yeah and then at the end of the night we always ended just to try and bring ourselves down with a bit of eno a bit of early cure mm-hmm. a bit of mogwai explosions in the sky someone mm-hmm. godspeed you you know it's godspeed you black emperor had just released their first album that was on rotation a lot as yep. well and I think we w- we wanted something just to bring us down, and we were chatting about this. And um, Neil, I'm uh, sorry, not Neil, um, Graham had this drum beat. He said, "I've got this idea of a drum beat." Listen, initially, he said, "If I just put this down, because the record was finished, he went, if I put this down, Ed, can you record it, and the lads can take it home and see if they can come up with any riffs over it?" So we started playing, and, and Neil joined in, and then we had like a bass and drum track, and we just let them play. So they played for whatever it was, twelve, fifteen minutes. And then eventually Martin went, well, I, can, I think I can put something over that. So he went and put something over that. And then the rest of it was just me improvising over the top of it. Yeah. 
but we left all the and we were talking about sound design we were listening to some early can records as well like mm-hmm. um tago mago and egg bamiazi and because that was another thing we used to chill out we said well why don't we just make this just like a, a piece of sonic architecture and bring noises in that now the the shopping center that was milton Keynes shopping center that yeah. was literally 15 minutes with a tape recorder and a, a boom mic walking around this shopping center <laughs> <laughs> we just thought whenever we put played it back it it just sounded it added to the sinister vibe of it did you get well. any looks how how would like because obviously you you sound like i mean no offense andy mm. but you sound like a, a crazy man mm. like you in in that track i could, yeah. when i heard that i thought if you're walking around holding the tape recorder yeah. and kind of muttering to yourself that you're gonna finish the film or whatever yeah, it's yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah, at one yeah. point I just, I imagine you got some pretty odd looks from people. And we did, we did it in broad daylight as well. Wow. We didn't do it when it was about to close the first thing in the morning. I think we did it at like about half past 12 in the afternoon. And there was a, yeah, there was a few people, but I think at that point in time, I'd, I'd not really slept. You know, we'd, we'd yeah. been doing, we'd been burning the candle at both ends. And at this point in time, we were completely and utterly fried. And I think that it was almost just like I was shouting at myself <laughs> at this point. You know, I, I was just, it had come to its natural occlusion. I burnt myself out. And I think I knew that after we'd done this, that would be it, that the, the book would be closed on this album. Yeah. And then, and in fairness to the people of Milton Keynes, we didn't get as many looks as, I mean, if, if I'd have done it probably in Islington or somewhere like that, you right. know, it was, a, it was a lot more kind of reserved. Right. Okay. So um, when the record kind of comes out, uh, I went back and had a, a read of some of the old reviews mm. uh, the other day, particularly um, scathing one from mm. the NME, yeah. uh, which compared this record weirdly to stuff like the Scorpions. I know, I remember um, that one, yeah. Which is really weird. But uh, overall, um, what was the sort of reaction from the press like? Because I, I kind of remember the press going, oh, well, this is like, no one would seem to want to commit to whether or not it was good or not do you yeah. know what i mean i felt like i would read the reviews and people would be yeah. going good for them they've certainly yeah. done something yeah. new but it wouldn't actually go no one would was willing to kind of back it but it's yeah. how i felt no no one was i mean i remember kerrang at the time paul brannigan loved it at kerrang yeah and he was because it reminded him of early therapy and all his favorite bands like there was bits of like as i said jesus lizard and all in there yeah he loves fugazi and i think there's a, yeah there's a bit of fugazi in there fugazi as well yeah. yeah and i think um I certainly remember Marianne Hobbs on Radio 1. Now, Radio 1, bless him, had always played us up to this point, especially yeah. on the rock show. And she famously said, I got the therapy album today and I think every single copy deserves to be burned and put in the bin. Fucking She hell. said that on air, live on air. Wow. And it was like, I remember what? Because the guy from Mark 21 said, that's what she said. I went, oh, well, that's a bit cringy. No, she didn't say it to me. She said it live on air last night. Jesus. And I was going, I was going oh my goodness, right, okay, that's... And I have like having said that, I mean, I'm a big fan of Marianne Hobbs. She got me into quite a lot of great electronic music that I like, mm. and I haven't seen what she's into. I was very surprised that she really didn't wasn't open minded enough for it. Mm. But um, you know, that was that. And then I remember the NME one. It was the first major one that came through. I remember where we were. We were in the waterfront. We had a show that night in Norwich, and we were all really in a really good mood. And we went up. We went for a walk in Norwich Town Centre, and we bought the NME. And we got back to the dressing room at the waterfront and we opened it and it was like this and we we're going what and i remember everyone we went really quiet and we said well we knew they wouldn't like it but we didn't realize they'd hate it this much and then someone of us just went 
And where the hell did, how do we sign out the scorpions? Scorpions. Because it was Jam Jar Jail, was it? No, it was, um, it was one of those, it might have been Jam Jar Jail. And we thought, well, this is, it sounds like the Stoogies Funhouse. Where yeah. do they get the scorpions from? Yeah, there was so some we odd just, stuff. Yeah, there was some odd stuff. And then we thought, well. Because Megadeth was another one. Megadeth was another one. Yeah, another one. Megadeth. This doesn't sound like a thrash metal record. You know, it, it no, doesn't sound like a, a hard rock record. It, it sounds like, I don't know what it is, but. So that was, I mean, but after a while, as I say, the first couple of reviews when they came in, I think Melody Maker was still in existence and that yeah, gave yeah. it a great review. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. I've never picked up on that before, but I think a lot of people didn't want to, apart from Paul Brannigan, bless him, I think a lot of people <laughs> didn't want to put their hands up and go, this is magnificent. Yeah. That it was either all oh, blessed, you know what I mean? They've, they've gone against the system, fair play to them, or it was like, what on earth is this? They should be shot. <laughs> Have you ever thought, because I actually, having listened to it, it didn't occur to me at the time, mm. but it occurred to me recently, kind of listening back mm. to it, because I've been on the kind of... Um, you know, I did quite a big binge of uh, of listening to the album mm. recently, as I knew I was going to be talking to you about it. What's surprising is that this record comes out in the kind of height of new metal, the kind mm. of the most pompous, kind of overproduced, mm. like tipping point, I think, for new metal, and I think the same for kind of pop punk and skate yeah. punk as well. It's when Blink One Eighty Two and all that sort of thing was happening as well. Um, three, four years later, the White Stripes. Yeah, the the hives. <laughs> yeah, um, you know the 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 von Bondies, the mm-hmm. Vines, uh, the Datsuns. All of these bands are suddenly on the front cover of Kerrang mm-hmm. and lo-fi, you know, kind of scratchily produced garage rock. Yeah, is the sort of you know soup du jour of yeah. of mainstream rock music yeah. again. You know, kind of culminating in the Strokes. Yeah. Did you kind of look at that at any point and go, oh, for fucks? Of course. I mean, we were going like, you know, all this, uh, the fun house. No one ever mentioned the Stooges. No. New Melt was all about Angel Dust, but Faith No More. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing fun house and the Stooges. I saw people in bands wearing Stooges shirts. Mm. I heard bands that sounded like the Stooges. And I thought, why, why all of a sudden is Kerrang and NME discovered the Stooges when, whenever we needed them? <laughs> Years ago, no one mentioned them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it's, it was a really like that's something that I was like, oh my god, you know what? This came out and kind of predated that that whole that whole yeah. thing. I mean, even the few bands that that Kerrang did kind of like the Backyard Babies or Buck yeah. Cherry were much more kind of Rolling Stonesy. Yeah, they Rocky were more that LA than, thing. Yeah, yeah, than, than like you say the kind of Detroit uh, Detroit thing that you guys were doing on this. So mm. it must be very frustrating. In fact, I remember actually we had a conversation at Sonosphere a few years mm-hmm. ago, if you remember, where yeah. um, <laughs> I asked you about the Pixies and yeah. how you know do you ever look at the Pixies and go. Maybe we should have split up after Troll Gun. We could be yeah. running red in ten years later. Like that to me, that um, that's a very frustrating thing. I always say to people, mm. like you should, you should kind of um, shouldn't take these bands for granted that yeah. release these records. Um, mm. But I mean, you know, I'm I'm sort of asking the same question again that we said before. But yeah. I think it's worth you know talking about it. Like that, how frustrating is that really? Well, it is. I mean, me and Michael talk about this a lot. We think we could have gone down two routes. I mean, we could have went down the route of we, I think the, the, the main, the first misstep was obviously Infernal Love because mm. we should have filled, followed up a million selling sell album with more of the same, and which is what the record company wanted. And I think, you know, we could have made that album. We had some songs that we demoed that were in the same thing. We took, at the end of the day, we, we said we don't want to make the same album twice, so we made Infernal Love. So we think if we'd, have, if we'd have taken the decision, Five still would have left. So if we'd have made Trouble Gum 2 and it had sold slightly more than Trouble Gum, kept us in the mainstream, Five would still have left the band. It was, you know, he was going to go. It was on his mind anyway. And I think then what would have happened is another 
world tour of the second follow-up we would have split up and then we would have probably come back six years later playing at the Brixton Academy playing Trubagum don't know if I would have been involved or not or we continued doing what we were doing and that's why I'm still here sitting talking to you now and I think you know if we'd have done that thing I don't think I'd be a musician now mm. you know I think because of doing Suicide Pact you first I actually became a musician and that's what I say to people now is that it proves that and we always want it to be musicians not rock stars yeah and I think when therapy started the thing that it was people mentioned Nirvana but our records were at the same time as Nirvana's you know we'd and we, we had the, the band existed before we heard them but we were very much part of that whole thing yeah but the bands that we were into it was Minutemen Husker Du mm-hmm. and I, it was and Jesus is it people that didn't look like they should be in a band now in the age of like Avenged Sevenfold and all that people sort of forget yeah that that stuff was really old hat that whole leather trousers yeah it really you know, was. aviator shades that was gone yeah and whenever the melvins and nirvana and jesus lizard and tad came along the bands that we all liked were those kind of bands and none of us looked like we should be in bands we were from just outside belfast we were country bumpkins and that was kind of what we were about and then whenever we got a bit more famous and a bit more well known people start looking at you then to act like a rock star mm. And yeah, we could have went down that road. We could have been careful about a weight, whatever. It wouldn't have made much difference to the likes of me, but we could have maybe been a bit more mainstream about it. But then it made me realize that all these things, all these ephemeral things of, you know, being in the gossip columns of magazines, they don't really matter to me because I still go to gigs and still buy records. Yeah. So I'm actually, this is what I want. I'm now a musician, not a rock star. And I'm glad, and that you know, I think that was a hardcore punk background that we grew up on. Yeah, did that, but then at the end, I think that just meant, you know, I'm still here. I'm still a musician. It doesn't matter if I walk down the street to get a train and nobody knows who I am. In fact, that's why, the way I like it, and that was good. And if we sell any records on top of that, that is incredible. You know, it'd be great to sell as many as possible. But I'm comfortable in my own skin being a working musician. Mm. Yeah, of course. I mean, amen to that. Of course. Definitely, I completely mm-hmm. agree. And you've got a back catalogue now where, you know, we can sit here and talk about a record that mm-hmm. is very, very different from, I mean, even when you mentioned Infernal Love, massively mm-hmm. different record from, yeah. I guess what, even though I would say it's probably the mo- second most successful record after Trouble Gum, yeah. it's still incredibly different. Yeah. And, you know, and that's before we even get into the kind of, um, you know, what happened after Suicide Packed You mm-hmm. first. But, uh, I was going to say there's two kind of last few couple of things. Like, firstly, I saw you guys live on that tour. Now, yeah. Therapy are always a fun band to yeah. watch, I always think, even though, you know, some of the songs are quite heavy and yeah. about dark things. Um, you didn't seem as fun yeah. around this time. It was yeah. more of, it's the only time that I've seen gone to a therapy yeah. show and been like, cool, this is an attack. Yeah. It's, uh, it wasn't the kind of friendly, smiley, come on, everyone, let's have a yeah. good time. Um, what were the shows like on the, on the back of that tour? Because I remember them being mm. markedly different. No, they, they were, I mean, the whole mindset went from being, you know, this is great. We knew what we, the record we made. But then, as I mentioned in an example earlier, of going to Norwich and getting a copy of The Enemy. Yeah. That wasn't just the reviews. I mean, that, the reviews at that point in time would have been around long enough that we knew how to, a bad review, it hurts, but then you move on. Mm. But it was constant. And not even just that. It was people that were fans of the band. I, you would be, say, someone like Bristol and someone would come up to us in the street and go, I'm going to the show tonight. I thought your new album was crap. It's going to be the last show I'll, I'll go to because I got the ticket and all this. Oh. Then you got to the venue and somebody at the venue was going, what on earth was that you just released? No, no. It's over like this. It was constant. Yeah. You would even get on a tour bus. And because Trouble Gun was a mainstream record, you get a tour bus, whose jo- a bus driver whose job there was to drive from A to B going, 
what the bloody hell happened was. So you couldn't escape it. And then on top of that, you know, we would have our management ringing up going, yeah, well, the record's gone to number 41 here. Yeah, in Belgium, it's not done very well. Yeah, the Americans aren't sure what to make of it. So this was constant. So the whole time we were on tour, we were getting this. There was no, you know, when you do other, I mean, obviously when we were doing Trouble Gum, it was all good news. That was all great. Mm. But it got to the point now where it was just so negative. Yeah. And we, we, we wanted to play shows, but just, you know, we would get on stage that night mentally defeated right. just from the whole barrage of negativity we got during the day but they were great shows they were just really angry yeah they were angry and intense and we were really pissed off and yeah i think at the point as well that was probably the beginning of the end of our relationship with graham hopkins too as well because i think you know he's a he's a nice bright lad bright as i know he's very effusive and he's he's a, he's a sunshine kind of guy you know mm. what i mean and i think to go through months of that was probably the last straw you know because he, he wanted to be in a band like weezer <laughs> no, he he didn't want to be in this band where there was yeah, a drunk yeah. Irish lead singer shouting at the world. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing you guys. I think it was LA two, mm-hmm. probably, or maybe it's the Astoria actually. Uh, but it was one of, yeah, it was. I think it was on this tour, and there was I just you had your hair completely covering up your face for yeah. almost the entire show. Yeah, and every time you weren't singing, you seemed to have your back to the audience, almost sort of kicking your your um your amp at the same time. Yeah. And I was just like. That, no, I had a really, had a really awful night before that. I remember right. that we part, we came up. It was the Astoria. Yeah, that's and right. I was, uh, I was really pissed. Being in Luxembourg the night before, and we'd driven from Luxembourg, and I was, I can't remember what happened, but I was in tears on the journey from Luxembourg. About, I was just the whole thing got on top of me. Right, and I think somebody in the crew had said something about the album too, and I was like, "Oh look, we're trying our best. We're really trying our hardest here." And uh, I do remember the only thing that cheered me up was we got, we parked quite near the Astoria because you couldn't park outside it and I got up the next day still still really upset and I went and bought a um, I was walking past uh, what's it called in Denmark Street uh, not Capari's I can never remember the name of the shop and it had a white moss right like Johnny Ramones right. and I went and bought it Okay. and I came back that day and said I'm playing this on stage tonight and the sound guy and the guitar tech went it's, it's the last night of the English tour you played your SG the whole tour Mm. please don't do this to us yeah. you know this is a new guitar it doesn't sound right and i was going i'm playing this guitar tonight we came to a cup just about 10 minutes before so show time the guitar tech and says please don't play a brand new guitar for the whole set you know it'll sound different so we came to a compromise and said right i'll use it in the encore if we mm. do forget an encore yeah but i do remember that night it was just it was like and i think also we knew that a lot of people that were going to be in the crowd reviewing it and a lot of people a lot of people that were coming down on the back of what I'd said earlier, but people in Bristol going, I've bought my tickets the last show I'm going to go to. And yeah. So that was all on their minds when we went on. I do remember James Bradford from the Manic so went and it's one of the, he said it's one of the best gigs he's ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> well, they love that shit, yeah. don't they? They love that. Um, so kind of finally, what's the, what do you think is the, um, I guess the legacy uh, of Suicide Pact G first? Do people kind of talk, I, I would be interested to know, um, how often you think about or how often you do kind of bring those songs into your live set in 2018 and how you kind of would approach those songs mm. if you were going to come to sort of play them now well we have talked about it because next year is the anniversary mm-hmm. the 20th anniversary of it and the guy that's looking after us now for marshall records that that's our new record label he was the guy that signed us start 21 that put yeah. out suicide Pact. And, you know, we're, there has been talk about maybe getting that record back because it's out in the ether. Nobody owns it at the minute. You know, we've talked mm. about maybe getting the rights to it, re-releasing it on vinyl because it never got a vinyl release. 
So we have talked about it, but I think looking back on it now, it just exists in a world of its own. And, and I suppose I'm glad you mentioned Funhouse earlier with the studios because that's the way I look at it. Mm. It was our Funhouse. It was one part of our life that wasn't particularly pleasant to be around, but it was a great piece of art came from it yeah. that we're very proud of. I mean, we're, I'm still a bit ambiguous about Infernal Love. I'm a bit ambiguous about Semi-Detached, but Suicide Pact, I always defend. It is weird trying to put songs from it into a set because they always stick out. It would make more sense if we did the Suicide Pact you first show. Mm. It's tellingly what you said earlier about Sister. That's the one track that constantly from Suicide Pact gets put in the live set because people like it. Yeah. Do you think, how do you think that would go if you did it like in full? Because I was going to say, obviously, you've got history for doing Mm. um, albums in full, uh, but they're usually like, you know, it's been Infernal Love and it's been Trouble Gum. What do you think the appetite would be for doing this album? I mean, I'll yeah. tell you what, for the record, yeah. you'd sell one ticket. Yeah. No. <laughs> like for sure, and you would well, sell at least one thing, ticket. Yeah, no, I think, I think we'd sell people, we know people would love it. All our fans, I mean, the majority of our fans, it's their kind of record. that they, If you ask a hardcore therapy fan, mm. they will love Trouble Gum and they will love Suicide Pact, two disparate albums, but they, they love yeah. those two. Um, I think we'd have to be careful the size of venue we put because I think if you know if another band did this if Weezer got together to play Pinkerton yeah. they'd probably play to two and a half thousand people yeah they would yeah. if we got together to play Suicide Pack we'd probably have to be looking at a 300 capacity <laughs> club but I think it would be amazing and I think we could really I think we could do those songs a lot of justice mm. um, we'd obviously we'd probably get a guitar tech from within the ranks or a guest guitarist to, pl- to play the second guitar on it we've got a, a few friends that we know play cello for bits and pieces of that but it was something I'd like to do. I'm very, very proud of it. The thing I do like about it is, you know, I very, very rarely listen to my own records back. Once mm. they're done, they're done. The only time I listen to them is homework if we're playing a song off that album on tour. Yeah. But I do, if I ever sit down and listen to Suicide Pack with headphones, I go, this is incredible. I absolutely love it. Yeah. yeah. Do, did, it, did it kind of stir those emotions if ever you do that? Like, do you ever kind of get in the rehearsal room and go, you know, maybe we want to do uh, something from it and you think about playing it or like, does it kind of, does it stir those sort of similar emotions that you had? Do you kind of, does it kind of take you back? Because I know sometimes people go, yeah. oh, you know, I can't play that song because it's too real or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, it, it does take me back. I mean, I'm literally back in Putney in the Ritz studios where we rehearsed a lot of it in a really mm. grimy lo-fi studio with like tape on the carpet. I mean, I think we did I actually remember we were doing Little Tongues first off that album in the set last year. But I think we tried to do Jam Jar Jail once. Yeah. And I was trying to get the little solo bit down and the guitar sound. We couldn't quite get the guitar sound, but I was getting really, really cross. Yeah. And really, really angry because I thought about that Scorpions quote again. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's, it was, let it go, Andy, and all that, you know, it but it was like kind of, I was just thinking about that. But yeah, I think that was the one thing that I would like to, I would like to go back to it and try playing along with it and see what it would sound like with us doing it now, 20 mm. years later. Well, it would be a fascinating thing. Um, I think we should probably, just before we kind of mm. end, Cleave is out on yeah. the 21st September. 21st September yeah. Well, we'll be reviewing that the week it comes out, obviously. Oh, um, just a like little pre uh, kind of um, piece of uh, tidbit of, of, of knowledge from, from you about what people can expect from that. I've heard it, by the way, yeah. but yeah. It's, I I've, think if you no like... spoiler from me. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think if you like Trouble Gum, you like High Anxiety and you like Semi Detached, you won't be disappointed. Mm. We, we were thinking it's like a 20... It's a cross between Trouble Gum and Nurse, but with the 21st century production values. And I, you know, if you're, a, if you're a therapy fan that kind of dips in and out, you'll love it. 
if mm. you're an old school therapy fan, you'll like it anyway. Well, I was very disappointed with the new Helmet album that came out last mm. year. And so I'm glad to hear a band from that era who are doing the sort of thing that Helmet could do. There's some riffs on this new record, which uh, give me that same kind of, you know, when you do the- John Steen here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that give me that, that kind of drum. The, yeah. I'm, I'm drumming really hard with my right yeah. arm for people that are listening. Yeah. But yeah, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of that. It's, it's, oh, um, but you. anyway, no spoilers for me because we will be reviewing it mm -hmm. when it comes out. Um, yeah, Suicide Packs You First. If you've never listened to it before, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Music. Um, if you're just one of those people that listen to therapy or maybe you're really young and you've never listened to therapy before ever, probably wouldn't start with this record but yeah. <laughs> at some point you need to sit down and really give it a good listen yeah. but um andy thanks very much for being our first ever guest thank on right act uh it's been fascinating and um yeah do that tour thanks very much thank <laughs> you cheers man Bye. thank you all right there you go he was a nice man wasn't he i hope <laughs> <laughs> i hope i'd say was i recording the outro before i actually did the actual interview that you've literally just heard a phenomenal interview probably Thanks, the, mate. Probably yeah, the best definitely. thing i've ever heard best thing that's ever been in my yeah. ears I love who it. knew that we would kiss that soon into the interview? <laughs> but anyway that was i thought the felching was going a bit far but yeah you know. well well you've you've always got to go too far <laughs> You literally cannot fucking help yourself from whatever anyone's like trying to do something slightly respectable. Yeah. And no, it's I, wankings I, I, fucking coming. I'm just a very. In the first week. My libido. Shagging in a caravan. And yeah. then now licking eyes and kissing, which is a nice thing to do with another man. Like, if, if you're into that, I mean, not, not actually, that there's anything wrong there's with that. There's nothing wrong with even felt, but I'm not. I hope it didn't get to the point where I actually had <laughs> people have just listened to me felching Andy Cairns. I mean, it'd be a turn up for the books. It would be. Um, but anyway, thank you very much to Andy for um, what I am assuming was a wonderful, beautiful chat, which was purely platonic between two friends. Yeah. Just platonic friends. Yeah. Um, mate, uh, good show. Yeah, um, let's hope everyone else agrees. Because <laughs> it's not really up I think to they, us. I think they were <laughs> until that. Um, so there you go. Anyway, uh, thanks very much um, for listening. Give us a little shout on uh, on on the on the Twitter at riotact underscore podcast, patreon.com forward slash. Yes, yes, I did it. Riotact podcast. Um, find us on Facebook. Cheers to Musicism, who are our. Uh, our kind of big brother. Yeah. Musicism.net. Thanks guys. Get 25% off your courses um, for guitar, vocals and production mm -hmm. from Musicism if you put in the code RIOT at the checkout. And we will be back next week where we will be chatting all, basically it's going to be a kind of live review spectacular yeah. because um, you're going to see Iron Maiden and Killswitch Engage. I am. Yes. And I am going to the Bloodstock Festival. Yes. So it's going to be well metal. Yes, it and is. We may there'll be some more reviews in there as well, though. There'll be, be there. a couple of reviews. Yeah, yeah there'll be a few yeah, some, yeah. Some more reviews. And uh, we might even have a, a guest from Bloodstock Festival Ooh. joining us, maybe. Yes. But don't, you know. Don't get too excited. I don't like promising anything because, you know, yeah. then when you don't do it, you look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> Bye.